Hello and welcome to Up Only TV. I'm Ledger. We will be here with our guests in just a second. Before we get to it, you know what's next. It's Blockfolio. Go to uponly.tv slash Blockfolio to check it out today. You can download it, make a trade, zero fees, directly from one asset to the other. You can bring on fiat from your bank. You can do all kinds of awesome stuff with Blockfolio. Just go to uponly.tv slash Blockfolio. It's, of course, got the same portfolio tracking you've known and loved since 2014. Thanks to Blockfolio for being our partner. Let's get to the show. Kobe, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm all right. You've uh, you've almost got your stuff together today. You can see everyone apart from you. Oh, you're on the screen now. We did it. <laughs> um We've got uh, Stani, we've got Santiago, we got Kane on the show to talk about the future of finance, the future of France, uh, building in a bear market, and maybe we're going to have to build in a bear market again. Who knows? Uh, not me. Um, but thank you for joining us. Welcome. So this show sort of came about because you do uh, like your clubhouse um, DeFi uh, chats and sessions. And I just kind of jumped into your thread and was like, you want to do it on Thursday as well? Because we haven't booked a show. <laughs> um, and you were kind enough to say, yeah, we'll do it. Um, so we're kind of going to get out of your way and leave the show to you. But um, maybe jump in every now and again to make things, uh, make things awkward, ask some awkward questions, prod you a little bit. That sounds all right. Yeah, that was great. Uh, it's good to be here, Kobe Ledger. Yeah, second second time for you. Second time, yeah. Actually, um, actually, I, I think Brian, you, you look like me a bit. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I interviewed you. I interviewed interviewed you at another show, and people kept saying we look just alike. But then I saw a picture of you next to someone else, and you're like six seven or something. Uh, and that's where, Wait, that's you're where six the, seven? He's so tall, but that's where the likeness ends for sure. Yeah, I, I definitely look like that during bear market. So, so definitely like uh, I'm. We were very similar looking. So I can imagine. Um, it's great to talk Brian, to you. Again. You got, chat, you got um, some Finnish, uh, Finnish blood in you, uh, Ledger, somewhere. Yeah, somewhere I'm, back uh, there. I'm, it's a Danish background, I think. So, uh, chat is yeah, saying that Stanley looks like Ed Sheeran. <laughs> <laughs> you do no look way. a lot like Ed Sheeran. Can you can you sing too? No, only if Kane will uh, Kane will play the guitar. <laughs> yeah, I'll play some guitar for you. All right, so at the end of the stream, we're not going to raid a musician this time. We're just going to stick around, and you're going to do a Zoom concert. I can't wait. That's amazing. <laughs> in here to make music. Yeah, I know, right? Um, so do you want to, for any viewers that are um, listening through audio, don't have their cameras on or not watching live, you know, watching it back, can you each of you give a quick introduction to uh, who you are, what you do, why you've ended up um, wasting your time on the stream today? Danny, why don't we start with you? Uh, sure. Um, I'm Kane, uh, founder of Synthetics. Um, Synthetics is a synthetic asset uh, issuance platform on Ethereum. Um, and that's my family in the background. Um, <laughs> it's like a BBC recreation. I guess they're coming to, yeah, speaking of rating, uh, rating streams. Um, um, but yeah, so, uh, so um, yeah, that's, that's me. Um, I've been in DeFi for... I guess like four years or so. Um, yeah. <laughs> Sonny, Who's next? 
<laughs> yeah, my, yeah, my daughter's gonna. My daughter wants wants to talk to me about something. I guess. <laughs> Any intros <laughs> from the daughter? Stani, why don't you go? Okay, so uh, yeah, my name is Stani Kovacov. Um I'm the uh, CEO and founder of, of Ave, and Ave is the team behind that that uh, built the Ave protocol, which is a uh, decentralized uh, interest interest rate market. Uh, um, on chain, so pretty much like traditional, you've been used to holding your cryptocurrency or cryptographic assets, and with Aave you can deposit them into the uh, non-custodial protocol and and see the assets grow in in uh, balance as you earn interest. Uh, I started building uh, decentralized finance and smart contracts uh, five years ago, uh, kind of a bit you know accidentally. I was still studying in, in university. And uh, before that, uh, my academic background is in law, but before that, I was building uh, fintech mostly. And pretty much all my uh, teen years, I've been doing some sort of web applications. Uh, yeah, I don't know why I'm here today, but <laughs> I guess like Santiago and Kane said, like, do you want to come? And I said, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm a, I'm a pair by capital. Um, we're a DeFi focused fund. Um, and we've been, we've been around for, for, for three years now. I started investing in crypto in, in 2012 and, uh, you know, had the good pleasure of, uh, meeting Kane when he was building Haven. It was called Haven at the time, uh, and Ethland. And so, yeah, you know, um, excited to be back in the show and hopefully make it, uh, a good, uh, a good discussion around DeFi, and I feel like there's been a lot of things that have happened since we did. So Steiny and I, uh, for context, started doing these clubhouses. A lot of people didn't like it because it wasn't, um, you know, I guess it's only for for iPhone and it's not very inclusive. But we had some really good discussions there, and we stopped doing them, I guess. Um, but uh, it's been almost a month and a half, Steiny, two months since we did our last one, and um, yeah, I feel like there's been a lot that's been happening. In DeFi, and uh, really the inspiration for that for that tweet, I was talking to Stan. I feel like uh, you know, obviously, there's there's a big, uh, pretty violent movement in the markets, and we felt like you know, I feel like sometimes in moments like that, it's pretty lost uh, all, all the innovation and the traction that's been happening behind the scenes. And I uh, figured we'd do uh, another one, and so here we are. Welcome, welcome. Um yeah, it's funny. I was in um, I'm in a, a bunch of uh, like different Discord groups, and it was funny how different Discords reacted to um, the market movement. Like some of the Discords were like freaking out, like why is the price going down? The entire thing became a complete shambles, and then some Discords, um, I, I like I won't name projects, but I guess some of the better projects, it was just kind of like nothing had happened. Like people were just like, can you review my code? Like, oh, I think we should do it like this. Like absolutely no commentary on the uh, on the market whatsoever. So it was nice to see different projects react um, differently to it. Uh, Kane, I got to ask, your daughter's now joined us. Um, is she old enough yet to review smart contracts? She's got a, a career as a smart contract <laughs> auditor ahead of her. <laughs> No, not yet. No, she's not not quite there. We're we're actually just working on uh, guitar at the moment. So uh, okay. she's a new guitar. So oh, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Are you saying that's that you didn't, you didn't you didn't teach yield farming yet? 
<laughs> no, no, she hasn't. Uh, she can do. She can do a transaction though. Uh, she likes to get out my trezor and uh, and confirm transactions. But yeah, not not into smart <laughs> contracts yet. I reckon she's out traded half the viewers. Um. <laughs> <laughs> she's got a lot of e. She's got a lot of e. That way. <laughs> Somebody in the chat asked oh. if she was on the RGT core team. <laughs> uh, did you see the stuff Tetranode was posted today? Maybe we shouldn't talk about that. There's no, a child in the stream. Um, so, <laughs> so how did she can't, we... she can't hear you though? So you can you can feel feel comfortable to say. I know, but it's want. still bad luck in it to talk about the weird elephant thing he posted while there's like an actual <laughs> child on the video. <laughs> uh, Fair enough. Um, but uh, the chat is saying she's got more ETH than me uh, that they're not going to make it. Um, so how did the original <laughs> DeFi original DeFi chats um, st uh, start? These clubhouse chats, like, w what was the purpose of them? Was it just like an insight into building, or was it, um, yeah, like how far did it go back? What was what was your core reason behind starting? What was it? Sounded like we we did one. It was really kind of spontaneous. It was one Saturday and. Uh, Steiner and I said, Hey, let's just go on this thing clubhouse. And it, it was like relatively, it was like January back then, I think January, February, I believe. Um, and our first one, we thought it was going to be just going on for an hour or so and no one joined. And then I think we went on for how long Sunny was it? Uh, 12 hours. The, fir yeah. the first clubhouse lasted 12 hours, right? Yeah. I fell asleep at some point. <laughs> yeah. Dedication to the content. Oh. We had some really good folks uh, join. Like uh, I think Andreas Antonopoulos uh, jumped in at some at one point. Um, we of course we always we would always have a BTC Maxi invariably come at some point and just raise his hand, go on stage, and just like totally shit on DeFi and like how Bitcoin was going to rule the world. And it was uh, you know we always had a BTC Maxi like jump on and and try to hijack the conversation, um, which. Uh, which is an interesting thing. I, I do want to talk about at some point um, around this narrative shift that I think has been happening in the market around ETH. And it's been pretty interesting to to see. I don't know if you guys have felt it too, but that there's been a pretty interesting shift in in how institutions, especially, um, you know, there was a Goldman report, there was a JP Morgan report, there was a Wharton paper on Ethereum, DeFi, and from my perspective, a lot of the new funds that I talk to these days, um, many of the conversations, um, you know, they don't, you know, Bitcoin doesn't necessarily come up as much and uh, they do see, they find increasingly interesting Ethereum from like a technology standpoint and like as a tech investment, not as a like hedge against inflation and stuff like that. But um, I don't know if that's something that you guys felt as well and um, curious to get your take. Yeah, I I, I agree. Like it, it, it seemed like that in December, January, there was this sort of Bitcoin is the institutional asset they're not going to touch anything else sort of narrative that like almost got erased within a couple of weeks or months. Um, and, and it seems now there's, um, been a bit of a flip backwards and there's a lot more interest in Ethereum. There's a lot more interest in, um, uh, like on chain stuff. Um, it, like it, it really, really one eight it, I think. Um, and, uh, it seems like a lot of the new entrants, um, to crypto and like the, the smarter money entrance, uh, seem a lot more interested in in, in ethereum um how do you how do you two see the the like bitcoin's role in the ecosystem now um as like things have evolved over sort of like last five years or so i, I mean i think for me I, like i've got a tweet that i've been i've been 
planning to to push out and i keep not doing it because i know i'm gonna get uh get destroyed for um for putting it out there but basically saying like you know it feels somewhat inevitable at this point that the flipping is coming right like the you know the ethereum has gotten to a, a level of kind of mainstream awareness that it just never really got to like you know there was there was kind of the mainstream awareness during the ico hype phase or whatever that like ethereum was the thing that was making this work but nothing like it was all just vapor right like there was nothing actually happening really at that time like it was it was just a bunch of bullshit. and so i think anyone who kind of looked at it critically just said well this is nonsense right and they went away and now you know whatever three years later four years later in, in you know 2021 there's actually things happening and and it does feel to me like when the flipping happens you know people have talked about like bitcoin's just going to collapse on itself i actually think it could be beneficial for bitcoin um you know at the moment bitcoin's like responsible for holding up the entire market um you know there's this like kind of sense that like bitcoin is there to like prop us all up right and if bitcoin is is not doing well everything else you know kind of falls away i think i think ethereum will do a much better job of propping up the market given the activity that's kind of happening on Ethereum and all of the different things and the the different aspects of Ethereum that appeal to different people, whether it's, you know, art, NFTs or finance or whatever it is. Um, and so I, I actually think post flipping Bitcoin relieved of this like pressure to kind of prop everything up might actually be in a better place and and able to just kind of focus on, um, you know, a couple of narratives and, and survive. I think a lot of people would you know, string me up for that comment, but we'll see. I'll, I'll tweet it out at some point. And I, I think also Bitcoin is kind of like, a, I mean, it's it's been always a bit of like, an, you know, it's widely known uh, as, as a, like a cryptographic asset in the space and more known in the mainstream. And I think it's kind of like a very interesting in the sense that it's, it's a onboarding mechanism also to decentralized finance. Uh, and especially like, like, I mean, it's a network where you can transfer value uh, the most securely. That's the basically uh, current kind of like value there. And what in decentralized finance, what makes Bitcoin interesting is that when you wrap it into, uh, let's say something like uh, wrap Bitcoin, then you have this very interesting like programmability there. And there is more and more assets in, in Bitcoin. And getting that into decentralized finance is something that uh, brings a lot of value into the uh, uh, space. But I, I guess like one of the things I see that there's a lot of adoption on the institutional side. So we see, for example, uh, uh, companies uh, taking Bitcoin to balance sheet, but also like I would imagine that in, in short term, uh, yield bearing Bitcoin in a tokenized fashion uh, might be something that's very interesting for uh, many institutions. So I always kind of like go back to this uh, you know, interest like earning on your holdings while at the same time while you're holding them, like cash flow becomes uh, more and more important. And we will see, for example, that it's not only the, the miners who are uh, earning Bitcoin, but also kind of like the people who are actually holding Bitcoin will, will get interest. And that's like su substantially what decentralized finance is, is trying to uh, achieve. So that taking the assets that you have, putting them into work in a very uh, efficient uh, kind of like a uh, ecosystem and bringing that yield uh, back to the actual uh, end users holders compared to let's say in traditional finance where a lot of the, the yields are aggregated and profits aggregated back to the 
you know, share, shareholders and companies compared, for example, actually the depositors of, of assets in, 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 in the uh, finance. So you believe all the Bitcoin will be on Ethereum? <laughs> <laughs> I would not say that because that would be, uh, there's a custodian, a custodial issue there, you know, because when you wrap Bitcoin, you add this custodial uh, aspect there, and that kind of defeats the purpose of having secure uh, network. I would rather say that uh, Bitcoin is very interesting in the sense that uh, you have this network where you can store value uh, very securely, and that has a lot of use cases. And a uh, second thing that we uh, need to appreciate, and, and especially in the Bitcoin community, we do appreciate that uh, let's, let's maybe kind of like understand in Ethereum community, because in Ethereum, the idea is, is practically have a programmable environment and in, in the Bitcoin community, you have, want to have something very solid and, and changes into Bitcoin protocol is something that takes a lot of effort and you don't see that much of changes or uh, in, in, in that network itself. And that's the beauty of the network because uh, the less there is changes, you know, the, the more kind of like a stable it is because all new things uh, brings an innovation, always brings a bit of risk experimentation but that's why like there should be like separation of different networks where you can do different things but not pay the, the same transaction fee for example that's why for example we we have layer twos and uh on on, on now because of, for example in ethereum the transaction becomes very expensive so you take it elsewhere and start experiment there yeah um i'd love to get to layer twos in a, in a little bit but something that um kane said i found pretty interesting was that um Back in 2017, there was all these ICOs and there was like uh, sort of uh, product market fit for um, for smart contracts and uh, or like um, tokenization, I guess. But it was all vapor. Um, the the like there was flying car coin and you know just like mostly mostly trash. It was like a fundraising tool um, at best. Um, but out of uh, out of the tail end of you know. Um, that bubble both of your projects sort of were spawned and were two of the um uh two of the projects that sort of set in motion a lot of the um DeFi e ecosystem and set in motion um a lot of these like trends that now this like narrative change for ethereum um can be like sort of tracked back to the founding of these projects and and, and a couple of others as well because i don't want to diss uh chain link because the the marines will get me um but um i'd love to hear a little bit about that like what um like what was it like founding those protocols but back back at a time when there was like not really much precedent and most things on eth were were vapor um and uh what was it like building it when you know all the hype disappeared and ETH went to literally $80 and Substack shorted the bottom. Substr substratum? substratum? Substratum. I can't remember who shorted the bottom, but they did a video about shorting the bottom. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess I, guess I can go. Uh, so, uh, you know, when I... I, I, was, I was running a payment company um, before I got into, uh, into crypto more deeply, um, you know, before uh, the Haven days. And... You know, I, I was following Maker, obviously, and and you know there were there were things that had activity, right? Like I think you know Maker had a lot of activity. Obviously, it wasn't live yet, um, but you know there was a lot of thought that had gone into the mechanism and and what was going to happen. Um, I think the, the challenge was identifying the sensible processes. You know, the things that you know, like Augur is another example, right? Like a lot of thought had gone into Augur 
pre-launch, right? Like, you know, there were, there was a lot of mechanism design. There was a lot of thought that went into it. Um, you know, and that being able to kind of parse and filter what was sensible, you know, which, which white papers made sense and, and, you know, were things that could actually were buildable, um, you know, back in 2016, 2017 was, was kind of difficult and there was no way to know, right? Like you, it was highly speculative. Right. Um, and I think, it just took time, right? Like we just, you know, we needed to kind of let, let time play that out and, and see which things. And I, you know, there were a lot of people that said like Haven was just total nonsense, right? Like, um, you know, it couldn't work. Uh, you know, it was like, and I mean, even, you know, until like recently, probably yesterday, right. People are still saying that. So, um, you know, so I think, uh, I think like there's still an element of, we don't necessarily know what will work. We know things that are that are you know more or less viable. And I think the DeFi narrative was kind of the tipping point, right? So it was like, um, uh, you know, the um, set protocol guys, the Dharma guys, like in mid twenty eighteen, like July August twenty eighteen. There's there's a thread you can see in like their like shared Telegram channel or whatever where they're talking about like what will they call this thing? Like we need a narrative to like tie together what's going on here. Um, and I think that that was the, the watershed moment because narratives and memes are so important, right? Like we had a bunch of people doing weird shit on Ethereum and they were actually doing it. They were building it. Like there was code that there were things that were working, but there was nothing to kind of unite them. And I think that that, that kind of DeFi, coining that term of DeFi, um, thankfully it was DeFi, not um, Op5, which is, idiotic if you ask me um uh, is you know has kind of allowed people to go oh okay i see this is a category of thing that makes sense and i'm going to participate in that and i'm going to go and build something within that and and created the momentum and then you know prior to uh to i guess devcon 4 there was this like DeFi uh symposium there were like 30 people in the room or something like that right and and it was like all the DeFi builders getting together and saying like okay like what the fuck are we doing here? Um, and I think that that from that moment, like, cause I mean, you say like it was a bear market, like everyone was like, this is, you know, everyone outside of that room was like, this is over. Like you guys are, uh, you know, are, are working on something that's dead. Like you just haven't realized it yet. Um, and I think that the people in that room were just like, no, we're gonna, we're gonna keep building this. We're gonna, you know, stuff, stuff's launching. Like there's real stuff going on here. And then out of that, that narrative gained momentum and, you know, through 2019, um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, a bunch of projects started to get traction and, and things started working. What was the hardest part of that where you're doing all this stuff and, um, the market doesn't seem to care, but you're getting more and more excited about the way the tech's coming together. The so this is the interesting thing about bear markets, right? It's in a bear market. If you have a token, getting attention is the worst thing you can do. Because there are all kinds of people who are holding your token who've forgotten that they have they're holding it, right? And if you get listed on like Coin Telegraph and they're like Coin Telegraph is like, oh, this project's launched this amazing thing, people are like, oh, I can dump that, and they'll just dump on your head. Like it's like literally the opposite of what you want to happen. And we actually did at the end of 2018, we we put a chart together which showed like every major Haven launch, like every single like big initiative that we did and there were like 20 of them and literally there's like a red candle on every day because it's like oh uh, yeah that's right i've got some haven tokens dump i've got some like every single time right so like in a bear market actually what you want to do is like just not have anyone notice you and just quietly build stuff not talk about it and just hope that uh that they forgot that they're holding the token um the person dumping was ledger 
<laughs> I waited. I waited. Joseph Duffy was legend. He bought. He bought ten percent higher the day before. I waited until 2019. I was apparently selling straight to A16Z. So go me. <laughs> well, well, I I remember. Uh, Kane, you may not remember this, but uh, so this was at the Binance conference in Singapore. Um, it was like January of 2018 or 19, I think. And I think that might be the. Like synthetics, I think that at that month traded at its lowest level ever. I think, and and I remember meeting you, and and I was like, "Kane, hey, how, how do you feel about this?" And he's like, he just like shrugged, and he's like, "I, I don't know what to do. You know, I, there's nothing for me to do other than keep shipping." And um, you know, it was. Um, well, I wanted to ask you, like, so Haven went through this like evolution of. I mean, you did have a community pretty vocal at that when you were doing this transition that I think ultimately helped you create what is now like the meme, like these Spartans that are like hardened souls that have gone through this bottomless pit of a bear market and nothing like literally a day like last weekend just does like you're numb to that because you've just seen it just doesn't tickle you because you're like, what is this? It's like, it's, it's just any other day in crypto. But I'm curious because there was a subset of people in the Haven community, then into the synthetics community that just kind of abandoned ship. But there were others that stuck around. And like, um, I was curious how you, how you manage that and built that through a bear market. I think, you know, the, the people who kind of lost hope, uh, some they're not bad people right like you know the like probabilistically you should have lost hope it was hopeless it was a hopeless situation like only someone who's just an utter moron would have kept going at that point like the market was very clearly sending a signal that you were what you were doing is worthless and it just is you know going to zero right and so i think that the people who stuck around only stuck around because they had abandoned all hope of like any financial uh you know resurgence or, or whatever right like it was just you know continual um continual just crushing of the price and so it was like well we're just going to do this because we care about it that's it like we we've given up hope that there's ever going to be a, a financial you know upside here and and so those people the conversations were about you know and we would laugh about price right like we would like be like oh yeah we launched this thing and it's got you know and we're down to five cents now right like and and you know it just became like a joke and a meme and and the the focus really shifted to like what is this mechanism what are the dangers within it like how can we improve it and you know the thing that we were trying to build was was a very uh you know complex system right it wasn't it wasn't a kind of trivial thing there are a lot of considerations and uh, and so i think that it just attracted people who were only there because they cared about what the thing was they were trying to solve hard problems and we had this you know kind of shared culture of like we're just trying to solve hard problems this is this is what we care about um and we had to abandon the kind of financial motive and i think then as things started to get a little bit better we had some people turn up like arthur zero x is probably a good example right where like he came a little bit later like late 2018 early 2019 he's like holy shit, what's going on here like this is, you know, I thought I was walking into a graveyard and there's actually activity here. Like there's people, you know, alive in this place. Right. And, uh, and started looking at it and, you know, published a report, I think in like early 2019 saying like, this thing is going to work. Like people don't realize, you know, what's going on here, but these people have been building for a year. They've got this mechanism. It's starting, you know, and so out of that, I think then some hope kind of started to emerge. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really just the fact that like only the people who really cared about where we're building stayed. 
um, and only the people who just wanted to solve hard problems because they're stubborn or arrogant or dumb or whatever, like stuck around, like, you know, um, Dejan Spartan, et cetera, people like that. How, how similar was the process for Abe? I mean, I mean, I, I do remember bear markets very well. I, I try not to kind of like <laughs> remind myself, but I, I think there's a lot of positive things uh, during bear market, especially like you can you can build things uh, without that much of a distraction. So in 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 bull market, you see like a lot of projects, uh, you know, launching. Uh, tokens and 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 kind of like there's sort of activity and, and a lot of noise at the same time a lot of expectations but I, I think like doing the bear market what i learned is that uh, first of all i learned that you know kind of like you you as a team are in pressure you know whether it's it's uh, you know the, the bull market or bear but especially like everything uh, in the bear market like every, everything becomes way more nastier and uh that was like a first bear market where, you know, there's a lot of protocols being built, a lot of innovation, uh, a lot of excitement. And at the same time, you have a market that, that is working against you. And, and many people who are participating in that market, like they, they didn't have this, uh, you know, the same, very same vision that you're building something that will change, change the finance for, for good, uh, for permanent. And it's, it's, it's hard, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, synthetics and, and all as a project has been there. We did a lot of stupid mistakes, I would say before, you know, the bear market and during, but what we learned is that, uh, you have to constantly innovate, constantly change things. And I think in our community, what has been very fascinating is that many of, uh, those community members who really believe on what we were doing and, and didn't care and constantly continue to give feedback and, and use our products, even if they weren't ripe enough. Uh, you know, we still see the same members in the community and that's something that, uh, that that's very nice to see. So it's, it's a kind of like a living process. And I would say that uh, uh, what we learn is that if, if something doesn't work at, at that particular time, doesn't mean that the, the protocol, the product you're building uh, somehow doesn't have like protocol market fit. It, it's not actually that, you know, it just might be that there's some missing pieces currently at the moment that uh, you just need to continue iterating and, and maybe the market isn't there or the ecosystem isn't there. When we started with Eatland, it was pretty much the first on-chain lending protocol. You know, there was before us, there was like a uh, one decentralized exchange. And then we saw stable coins coming into the uh, Ethereum ecosystem and, and, the, the whole space started to grow that actually you started to have users, you know, especially when you had like stable coins, such as like uh, uh, Haven back then and, and uh, uh, die. So that's, that's kind of, when you have a stable coin, you have more utility, uh, you have builders creating new products. And I think the whole from bear to bull happened, especially from the builder's perspective as a uh, joint uh, effort. I mean, everyone was just continuing building same people are still here. Uh, I met uh, I met Kane in in in, in Defcon. Was it uh, three in Prague? Uh, I met uh, Santiago during the bear market, actually in, in in San Francisco. And same people are here. Like all the people who were building then are still building because we believe what we're doing. And substantial. That was like the difference here. And I mean, those years were difficult, but now it's kind of easier. But good reminder of of 
you know how how important it is to to believe in what you're doing. Yeah, one data point that, that get, got me very very excited during the bear market was the the ability for Dai to maintain its peg while the value of the collateral at the time it was only ETH dropped like eighty percent. And you know, I look at that and say, well, 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 shit. If if you're able to withstand like this like this level of shock then 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 you sort of it's good that you're testing this system early on because um then it's possible right if you go through especially that early on to me it was very exciting and and i think you you've seen it over and over again like in black thursday it certainly exposed certain like flaws in the design of maker and the keeper ecosystem but by and large like you know you still had a very violent drop in the price of, of the collateral, like what was it like 40, 50% in like a, a matter of hours. Um, and the shortfall was relatively low relative to like the, the amount of cascading liquidations, even this weekend, like, you know, the fact that like DeFi is able to absorb these shocks over and over, it's a very adversarial environment um, to me is most encouraging because you, you don't have that level of, of resistance and like anti-fragility in the regular financial system. Like, you know, look at 2008, uh, look at the quantitative easing, like all of these things, the financial system by and large is very fragile. And in DeFi, like there's no, there's no one to bail you out and nor do you need to, because these systems just are, are designed to and behave in a way that is very, I think anti-fragile, uh, meaning like they, they're built to withstand this level of shocks and, I think the fact that DeFi has worked in very like harsh conditions uh, is a testament to, yeah, this shit could actually truly transform finance in a very meaningful way. I mean, it's very early still, but to me, that that's what got me very, very excited um, back then. Yeah, we, we spoke a little bit about, um, about Bitcoin and uh, I'd love to hear uh, everyone on the call's opinion uh, about additional layer one so we've chatted a bit about bitcoin and, and ethereum and uh i saw nomad is doing a little bit of a thread about it um didn't like your comments about the flipping in cane uh but, oh god i'm i'm shocked to hear that shocked to hear that. <laughs> but um i'd love to hear in general uh, your thoughts on other other layer ones because there's been like a like a a parallel narrative on ETH killers throughout this entire run. And, you know, Solana's done really well. Cosmos has done really well. Like Avalanche, Solana, BSC, even Cardano has done, um, has, has done pretty well against, uh, uh, against Bitcoin and, uh, and Ethereum. Right. Um, I think I maybe said, uh, Solana twice, but, um, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Are, are there any that you're interested in? Um, do you think it's all a waste of time? Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I just had a, a semi debate, I guess, with like Kyle from Multicoin uh, this week, um, uh, talking about about Solana and BSC specifically, and and the kind of the threat to Ethereum. And I think we're getting closer to sort of uh, undermining that threat a little bit, right? Um, you know, uh, like Polygon. You know, yes, it's not perfect. It's not the perfect solution. Um, you know, there there are obviously trade-offs in terms of security over like, you know, optimistic roll-ups and and you know, CK roll-ups, but it's it's 
a place where people can still do things, um, you know, while we wait for, uh, for, you know, better scaling solutions and like to an extent, optimistic rollups are that as well. Right. Like I think we all, uh, you know, at least most people, um, in the Ethereum community have an expectation that like, you know, zero knowledge proofs will be the thing that will eventually take us to like full scaling. Right. But you know, how many years away is that? We don't know. And so, um, you know, the, the alternative, if you say, well, we're going to wait for a perfect solution, right. Where we're not going to, um, you know, be pragmatic about this. We're going to, you know, just keep doing what we're doing until, um, we design something that's, you know, amazing and, and has no trade-offs and, and, you know, uh, solves every problem, uh, is that other people will come along and they will be pragmatic, right? Like BSC from, to an extent is pragmatic. Like there's trade-offs there obviously as well. And we've seen what some of those trade-offs are recently, but like, it's a much more pragmatic, just go to market approach. Right. And, and I think this is, this kind of uh, tension has existed in the Ethereum community for a long time. And, you know, Haven copped a lot of this, right, in the early days that, you know, we were very centralized and people said we were monsters, right? Like we were, we were, you know, uh, we were undermining everything that made Ethereum good by having, you know, aspects of centralization, et cetera. You know, Chainlink's got a lot of uh, flack for this as well. Um, you know, but ultimately we said, we've got a roadmap there's aspects of centralization. We will decentralize it. We don't know how to govern these things yet. We're going to build a governance you know, from simple processes up to a complex process. And we've done that. Um, and I think that that's something that, you know, Ethereum needs to kind of uh, be more aware of, right? That we need to, we need to be pragmatic about things and, and, you know, we need practical solutions that work now. Um, and I, I think we're getting there. So Arbitrum's, you know, getting close to launch. Um, you know, we have Polygon, there are things within the Ethereum ecosystem that are starting to work and that are starting to, um, you know, offset the value prop of Solana and BSC. Um, but we've got a lot of work to unwind them. And had we done these things earlier, um, you know, we probably wouldn't have as much uh, as much to kind of uh, unwind. But, you know, we now have allowed genuine competitors to emerge that are a threat to the Ethereum ecosystem. And, and we need to address that as a community. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd love to get onto um, layer twos as well because you you mentioned uh, like the current solutions and then the, the things launching soon. But before we move on, Santiago and, and Stanley, I'd love to hear your opinions on um uh, on the ETH killers and, and Santiago. You might have a bit of a different perspective than uh, than Stanley, which might be interesting. Um, yeah. Look, I mean, I think um I think there there are shades of ETH killers, right? There's obviously like BSC is different than Solana in my mind. Um, and I don't know, like I, I, I'm not dismissive. Like Kane, you had a good thread, which was like, Hey guys, like let's actually pay attention because it is, I've always wondered like, what is actually going to resonate with, with the end customer, right? This is sort of like the VHS versus Betamax conundrum. If people are not familiar, like Betamax was like better technology versus VHS, but VHS just dominated because they had better marketing and they just became the standard. And it's sort of like a good reminder that I always ask myself is like, what do people actually care about in crypto and why are they here? Um, and look, you saw a lot of activity in Binance marketing. You had more users in, in, in PancakeSwap than Uniswap at one point. I think you still do. And so why? Because like Binance has better distribution. But of course, like, I think... So I have like conflicting views in my mind. One is these are onboarding funnels to Ethereum because my thesis is 
Yeah, okay. Then I, I think it's become clear to me like the end customer might not care about decentralization ever. They just won't. They just want like, you know, they care about, you know, financial speculation and just yield farming and all this stuff. And they'll go wherever that exists. Um, and they might not place like security and decentralization is not important to them as much. It's like flood insurance. You only do it when shit hits the fan. Once you get burned, you're like, okay, this actually is important. But I think over time, this industry will evolve to where the people that, that will care are the aggregators and the financial institutions. And, and they will care about security. You're starting, you already see that with Visa, for instance, like they choose Ethereum for a reason, right? Um, they didn't choose Solana, even though, okay, like they might work with Circle and USDC is working with Solana, fine. But over time, like your aggregator, your financial institution will operate on chain and they're going to choose the most secure chain, which I think is Ethereum and the most decentralized chain. And, and then that is re recursive in the sense of like, if they're operating there, then that begets liquidity and liquidity begets more efficiency. And so it becomes this virtuous cycle and becomes a strong moat that over time just compounds. Um, and so you're in this sort of weird transition right now where a lot of users go to Binance Smart Chain and will maybe go to Polkadot if and when it launches um, and to Solana. Um, but... But yeah, it's an interesting experiment. I think as an Ethereum community, like I'm not a maximalist by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, we've we've made invest like I made investments outside of Ethereum. Um, but they are good testing grounds, I think, for for Ethereum. Like a lot of the stuff that's happening in Solana, for instance, is maybe applications that would have never been feasible in in the current environment in Ethereum. And so, but you see a lot of copycats in Solana in the hackathons that you know. I think for them, like one of the things that I appreciate over time is like, uh, you know, talking to Maker, for instance, and the guys there, that there are a lot of like um, stablecoin killers that have come after Maker, right? Um, a lot of which have been questionable in their success, but they'll, it, it's interesting to talk to the devs of Maker and the de and Maker community. They're like, you know, like sometimes it sucks to be first because people just copy and innovate on, on what you've done. And it's really, really frustrating in this space. Uh, we had Andre and uh, I think you're wrong, Kane, too, in that clubhouse. And it's really hard when people can just copy your stuff. It's open source. And so, like, um, yeah, it's a long-winded answer. But what I'm trying to say is I do think that over time, like, decentralization and security and the modes of Ethereum will show up more and more. Um, and, you know, it's still a drop in the bucket. The, the number of users that are going to these chains doesn't concern me as much. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think it will be interesting now that Arbitrum has launched optimism is going live you know matic is kind of telling you that you know it's actually really fun to play in ethereum when gas fees are not like a thousand bucks per transaction how do y'all consider the moat of um a protocol like ave or synthetics versus the moat of ethereum itself like are these related what how do you think about that i think like uh yeah, I mean, <clears throat> in general, I don't think there is any moat in, in decentralized finance or like in open source ecosystem. Uh, I mean, th there is certain type of, but only in the traditional sense. So if you look at like traditional finance and, you know, there might be like financial licenses, you know, and, and you know, user bases that you build, but users in even like, in, not in even like network level, like Ethereum and, and let's say Polkadot or Solana, I, I think like the, there is like, less and less defensibility because you can easily, you know, look at the code, uh, fork the code, improve it in some way, 
uh, or you might just disagree with the ma majority of the community, let's say of, of Ethereum and, 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 or let's say in a, with Aave and just fork it and, and create a new version. And that's very healthy for the whole ecosystem where uh, you actually have this, this kind of uh, ability because that makes uh, the, the protocol level governance uh, to consider more larger consensus. So you want to create a consensus uh, with, with your community that is very wide so that you don't have the risk of forking happening. And, you know, that's, that's kind of like a threat that like every protocol is having. So you kind of need to consider that. But I, I think like from Aave's perspective, uh, we try to be as inclusive as possible when it comes to uh, these other networks, uh, Ethereum killers and layer twos. Uh, we believe in the fact that if there is some sort of like a uh, uh, community somewhere uh, that is very vibrant and, you know, they that might be NFT community, gaming community, uh, they essentially need decentralized finance as well as a kind of infrastructure and all it needs to be there. So that's how we try to look at the, the optionalities here. And what we've seen uh, recently is that, for example, Matic community, they always had a uh, uh, Vibram gaming community, NFT community, and now because of the increase of gas costs, a lot of things are going there uh, into the uh, their uh, ecosystem. And uh, Matic actually did very interesting thing because they, they reward the builders that are deploying infrastructure into their chain with uh, uh, liquidity mining on the network level. That might be actually in the future way for this Ethereum killers or whatever uh, kind of solutions layer twos to, to actually uh, get builders uh, incentivized and, and build on their networks. And I think like we still need to remember that uh, the, the whole, uh, uh, the value proposition of Ethereum uh, compared to what, what we have uh, in, in sidechain or layer twos is that you have the security of e Ethereum, but the transactioning will become very expensive. So the computation has to go uh, somewhere else. And, and that's where the layer twos are kind of like a solution where you can compute on a, uh, on a lesser security layer, and then you take the state of that network and, and roll it up into the uh, layer one uh, as a solution. And I think like now that we, we see like Arbitrum launching and, and Optimism soon, I mean, Aave wants to be part of these ecosystems. Like we want to be as inclusive as possible and, and support everyone and work with everyone. I think that one, one interesting uh, aspect of this question of moats, right? Which like, you know, I come from traditional startup world and, and being in, uh, I guess, you know, the open source software world is like, the whole point of this is to not have moats. We're trying to like lower barriers to entry, right? Like, you know, and the, the, the irony of that, I guess, is for the person who would have had a moat who now doesn't because the barriers to entry are lower, it kind of sucks for you. It goes back to Santiago's point about like maker is frustrated because there are low barriers to entry and it's hard for them to like prevent competition. Right. And as an incumbent, you want to prevent competition. That's, that's what's good for you, the individual who's built this thing, right. As a society or a community, we want lower barriers to entry because we want innovation. We want competition and we want efficient markets and the lower the barriers to entry, but the fewer moats there are, the, the better the competition, the more efficient the market is, right? So like as the individual who goes and spends five years of your life designing this amazing system and then has it forked and tweaked and, you know, someone has a better thing, that sucks to be you, right? But like for society generally, it, it is the better, it's like, it's definitely a better position to be in. You said yeah. earlier how important the uh, memes are, but 
when I think of the moat and open source, it that's seems a, like that's, that's a moat. That's yeah, a moat. The meme, the meme is the moat. That's yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. But you know, anyone like memes are, are low barrier to entry as well. Right. Like anyone can make a meme. Like it's, you know, you can turn up and, and co-opt a meme or create your own meme or whatever. It's not, it's not but hard it's a, to do it's that. A, it's a cute um, way of calling the network effects. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I would say um, what Kane said about the, like, like how the space is designed, like being open and not creating modes. Like that's, that's really interesting because I would say that, uh, you know, I mean, if you constantly innovate, you, you kind of create a mode in the sense that you can ship ship quickly things very securely and, and produce new things, solve new issues. But I think in the future, like, I, I would not say that, I, I would not even see that uh, developers at Aave and Genesis team or our community would uh, be exclusively working on Aave projects. I mean, we're already doing a lot of things with other protocols and kind of like a joint ventures and I would see more and more on community level developers will work together like in multiple projects. I could see there could be uh, developers uh, or one developer building at the same time things at Aave, at Synthetix, uh, at, 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 at Maker Community and Uniswap and so forth. I mean, it, it becomes more like uh, inclusive this way. And I think in the same way in, in governance and it could go across networks. I could imagine even uh, developers building on Ethereum and having uh, expertise in, in, let's say, uh, Substrate and, and, and Polkadot. So things just become like that you, you will not see that much of a uh, ability to mold things. You have always the brand, but at the end of the day, you know, uh, I think things just become kind of like more clear that everyone is working towards the same goal and where there's also incentives, people will just work for projects where, you know, you have more upside and, and projects, not necessarily meaning that, you know, the older projects that are already kind of like more established uh, do not have space to grow on innovation and creating new things, but it just means that, you know, the ecosystem will come, become more diverse and, and, and also more saturated. Someone in chat just said, why does this guy pronounce it Ave? It's pronounced Av. So I just wanted to let you know. <laughs> Sorry, mate, you've been getting it wrong. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A, a, you get Ave as well. Ave. Ave, Ave, Ave. We get that quite often. So, but yeah. Look, it's fine <laughs> to get it wrong. You've learned now. You can get it right in the future. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it, it makes sense, you know, that there's this like sort of um, incentive structure in open source where there's large financial incentive uh, aligned with it within crypto. So there's a huge financial incentive to take something that someone has built and improve upon it. But there's a, a different kind of compare as well. Um, uh, I think, Kane, that you've spoken about a little bit where it's not really um, a competitor. It's more of a if we copy paste that project from that chain to this chain, we can raise money. And with that money, we can maybe have a party and we'll keep some of the tokens. And like that project did well. And I'm pretty sure all we've got to do is copy and paste it and then we're good. Um, I think you, I think I saw one of your tweets that said something like, this is the seventh synthetic clone to blow up. It's like a complicated system. I don't know if this has happened with uh, Arv <laughs> or, or Arve, um, but um, like how like how does that feel? That feels like it, it's it's in some ways sort of different than people that are straight up taking your stuff and saying I can do it better. It's actually just taking your stuff and being like I can raise money thanks for your code. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I guess like my my view, I mean, this happened to us like very early on, right? Like very weirdly, because like if you're going to copy anything, synthetics is a dumb thing to copy, right? But like, I think that there was just a view of like, oh, okay, you know, um, this is something that's getting some traction and uh, maybe the inflation um, is exciting or something. I don't know. Um, but, you know, my, my view in the community, because the community were often more upset than the core team was, you know, back in the day, right. And like in early 2019, I think when the first time someone forked us and put us on trot, um, it was called Oikos, uh, I think. Um, and I just said like, this is the game. It's the game you're in, right? Like you, you need to accept that you're, you're deploying things, you're building things in an open source world. The source is open. Anyone can take it. Right. Um, you know, that's not, that's not how you defend this system, right. You defend it by, um, you know, as, as Danny said, um, continuing to innovate, um, you know, uh, continuing to, to kind of iterate and, and, you know, building on it. But yeah, like if someone just, I, I think there's, there's kind of two components to it as well, right? Like there's cloning and then there's copy and paste, right? And someone who cloned synthetics on Solana got a bit upset when I made the comment of like, oh, okay, like, you know, we got another synthetics clone or copy or whatever, like Twitter, cloning the functionality of clubhouse which they just recently did is like a pretty stock standard play in startups right like oh this you know this startup has built this like thing like we'll just clone it like who fucking cares right it's not like they took the code they just had like 10 engineers build it in like two weeks right and, and just integrated into twitter um and so i think that they're yeah, like there's, there's just, you know, there is a difference, right? Like, okay, so great. You took synthetics and you rebuilt it in Rust. Like, congratulations, right? Um, you know, but there's still a lot of things that uh, that you kind of need to understand and, and design decisions that were made. And this kind of cumulative, it's like if you somehow got the plans for like a nuclear reactor and you're like, oh, I can build this thing. Like there's like tacit implicit knowledge in like how these things are built and operated that you can't just rebuild wholesale and you know not blow yourself up right like you're going to have a nuclear meltdown that's just going to happen um so so i think you know cloning versus copying ultimately you still lose something in in that process um which is all of the you know the underlying knowledge of how that thing came to be i mean there's like um just to, this idea of moats like generally there's a really interesting theory of how things organisms and systems um eventually grow and, and eventually collapse um, you have to keep, and it's this guy, Jeffrey West from the Santa Fe Institute. He talks about your pace of growth needs to increase as, as you, as you expand. So like the derivative needs, like the rate of growth needs to stay the same or increase in order to avoid collapse. And I think the only way you do that, and especially in open source is to out execute and innovate. Um, otherwise, I mean, I'm not to say that like Bitcoin you know, you see Bitcoin maxis, like, it's like, guys, hold on a minute. Like, the only reason why you discovered Bitcoin is because at some point you were open-minded at some point, not now. And you made a lot of money, fine. And now you're totally, to like, totally, like, fixated that this is the end. And it, it's just like, it's it's a it's a good reminder for the Ethereum community and any community that it's like, hey, probabilistically, there is a version of this world where Ethereum is not the dominant chain and Solana takes off or chain X that is, hasn't been built. Well, come on, who knows, right? Uh, because they have better distribution, they have better developers, they, whatever, right? I do continue to believe we're su super early. Um, and so, you know, it is hard to keep, I mean, you look at 
I mean, that's the only thing that I that I look at is the, the protocols that I invest in is, okay, well, what else are you building to keep your moat and to expand? Like, for instance, Aave is, you know, what it's doing with Ido is, 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 is pretty interesting. Like, you know, it's, it's like opening a different type of funnel of different users that care about NFTs, but also are combining NFTs and DeFi. Hey, that's interesting, right? That's, that's it. That could expand the universe of users that are using a money market. Um, and so, you know, from that perspective, like, um, yeah, any sort of maximalism or view that like you've nailed it is, is probably going to get you wrecked. Absolutely wrecked. Um, probably faster than you, than you think in this space. Cause it's ruthlessly competitive. A lot of people in chat spamming uh, one ADA equals one Bitcoin, which is something that I must say. <laughs> I would hey, I, look, I think, there's, I, I think there's more chance of Bitcoin having fucking smart contracts before <laughs> Cardano, if I'm honest, right? So well, just chill out, are. guys. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> surely not. Surely this not. is how I, I get people like, hating on me. This, yeah. this is how I get people hating on me by being a dick. Uh, okay, for what it's worth, I, 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 I talked about Cardano in not a very positive light last time I was here, and uh, I, I unleashed this sort of... Well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I love it. Mute uh, Car- it. Ada and Cardano on, on, on Twitter. That's amazing. <laughs> Wait, you haven't done that anyway? Um, all right, but... Moving on to the layer two stuff, I wanted to chat a bunch about um, about layer two because Kane, I know that you're a bit of an optimism maxi, or you were yeah. um, when we last spoke. Um, yeah. And Arbitrum launches today for me. Today, uh, we're the twenty eighth yeah. now. Um, so twenty eighth in Australia, twenty eighth in the UK. Um, so uh, and then obviously we got you know zk sync apparently with a. Um, main net an evm compatible main net uh, planned for august september um maybe i've fucked up the dates um but at the same time you've had matic going like absolutely crazy and um uh udi dm'd me um saying can you ask where is it gone i've lost it um can you ask why should anyone care about arbitrum and optimism when uh, the centralized forks like polygon work already um, so there's a question for you, direct from Udi. Um, with yeah, so I, I think it comes down to, to trade-offs, right? Like, and, you know, like I'm a pragmatic person. I mean, Haven was built from a very pragmatic approach, right? Like we didn't attempt to design something that was going to be perfect and then, you know, build it over the course of two years and deploy it, right? Like we've seen that go wrong multiple times, right? Augur is probably the best example and I always use it and like that, that community probably hates me as well. But like, I, you know, I think what I, for me, like what Augur was building is the most cool and interesting thing. It's one of the things that got me interested in smart contracts, like the idea of prediction markets, open prediction markets. But I think the approach that they took of this, you know, very long waterfall process uh, is almost impossible to get right. Like maybe you get it right, but like 99 times out of 100, you don't get it right. And if you don't have an iterative process, it's really challenging, right, to do that. Now, iterative processes require control. They require people to be able to make changes that, you know, and this is the kind of Bitcoin maxi perspective as well, that like we should ossify and we should not allow changes and we should try and, you know, maintain the status quo as, you know, as much as possible um, and, and just, you know, only make you know, critical changes. And I think that it's very hard in this early stage where we don't know anything to build something in that way. 
right? Um, I think you need to build iteratively. And so when I see something like Polygon and people go, I don't like Polygon because, you know, it's not an L2, it's a side chain, um, you know, my, like even though Synthetics is not working on building on Polygon right now, um, and, and, you know, we're not kind of planning to in the short term because we've got other, um, other you know, kind of things that the community is focused on, I still think it's a good thing. Like it's, it's still within the Ethereum ecosystem. It's still a good thing. It's a good iterative experimental thing to be running. Um, and if you kind of try to dismiss it out of hand because you don't like its trade-offs, I think that's just a, a bad approach, right? Um, now, the flip side of that is that, you know, for the Ethereum ecosystem to avoid like a highly fragmented six to 12 months as these scaling solutions come online, we need to build some consensus around things. And, you know, part of what I've been trying to do with optimism is to build consensus around like, this is the right set of trade-offs, which is my belief, right? I think that the, the, what optimism has done is the right set of trade-offs. Um, they've tried to minimize the changes to, um, you know, the, uh, the code to support the EVM. Um, I might be wrong. Like it's, in fact, it would be weird if I wasn't wrong. Like I'm wrong most of the time, right? So like, you know, there's, the good thing is though that we need these experiments, right? Like at no point am I, just because I've picked the thing that I think is going to be the thing that we should build consensus around, doesn't mean that I'm anti-experimentation. I think Polygon, Polygon is great. I think Arbitrum is great. I think all of the ZK stuff is critically important. If we, if we wait for that to kind of be ready, it could be years away, right? So like, you know, stockware is great. It doesn't work for synthetics, but you know, it works for certain things. I think Immutable X, which is building on stockware is, is really important for NFTs. Like all these things are really good things and they're all within the Ethereum ecosystem. But at some point you do need to allocate resources to a certain thing. And so our community decided that optimism was the right thing. And we've put a lot of work into getting that to a point where it will be workable. Had we not done that and had that team not be working, then the overall Ethereum ecosystem is poorer for it, right? Like, so, you know, we are in a market, we, we do have competition um, and we need to be convicted in what we're doing whilst also accepting that there's experimentation and, and you know, there's trade-offs and, and allowing experimentation and iteration to happen in a, an open market. So I know that I know the least about like roll-ups, especially uh, amongst this group of people, um, but, the the four primary i guess roll-up solutions optimistic versus zk and two attempts at each can y'all talk about what some of the trade-offs actually are because i think people they've kind of gotten around to okay throw stuff on bsc uh and it's like straight up evm clone you can run anything that you run on eth what are you sacrificing with these different roll-up solutions I, I mean, I can I can give a quick rundown, I guess. Yeah, just like a real so, a real TLDR, because I'm I, I, yeah yeah. The, the those of us on the lower end of the IQ scale, I'm the only person not 150 plus here, so we need some help. <laughs> so okay, so of those four, right? Like you know, the optimistic rollups are, uh, and and then I think you also have Polygon, right? Um, you know, which is which is effectively a side chain, um, lower security. Uh, it's like still fine security, right? Like how much value in Aave is there on Polygon now, Stanny? I think it's like eight to nine billion in, in total. Right. Okay. So like, you know, there's as much money on, on uh, you know, in Aave on Polygon 
as was in all of DeFi like a year ago, right? Um, you know, and as far as I'm aware, up till you know nine fifteen Sydney time, no one's stolen that money yet, right? So like, you know, <laughs> some of these things are, are kind of theoretical considerations, right? Like they're not necessarily practical considerations, but that's still important. So there is a security trade off with Polygon, but it's securing you know ten billion dollars or so of value, and and you know hasn't been stolen yet, right? Um, so that's you know, and the longer it goes without that money being stolen, the the you know, more kind of confident you can get, <clears throat> I suppose, in, in, you know, it's security trade-offs, right? Now, like, there's the theoretical argument of, do you want to put a trillion dollars in there? You know, I don't know. I mean, $10 billion is probably enough to uh, to make it a, a pretty good honeypot, right? I would argue, right? Like, that's sufficient to, um, you know, for someone to turn up and try and, and steal it. So, so that's one thing. And then with the roll-ups, you've got, um, you know, Starkware, uh, which... Um, the trade-off is basically that it works much better for things that use some kind of uh, off-chain computation, right? So like um, DYDX that does off-chain order matching, it works really well for that because the state can be maintained off-chain and in, in, you know, validated uh, through these zero-knowledge proofs. Um, it doesn't work as well for things like synthetics and Aave where the state is stored on L1. Right, where like the you know the information about the the state of the network is and the protocol is stored on on L1. Um, they, obviously, they're working on that. Um, you know, that's that's kind of where it's it's headed. Uh, zk Sync um, is closer to what I think is again this like long term solution, um, but it's a question of like how close is it right to this long term solution of like being able to store state uh, not off-chain, you know, not requiring off-chain computation, but being able to, you know, compute things on-chain, but store all of the state on-chain as well. Um, and I think that that, uh, like long-term, that's that's going to be where we have to go, right? Um, but in the short term, the optimistic roll-ups basically uh, are, you know, uh, processing all of the uh, all the state transitions and then just storing them on L1, right? And so the security is coming from L1. With the two different uh, implementations, with um, Arbitrum and, and Optimism, it's really just how they implemented this this you know logic, right? This uh, this rollup logic. Um, Optimism uh, is kind of modifying Geth, making like small modifications. I shouldn't say small, like a lot of modifications to Geth, but trying to stay as close to like EVM compatible. Whereas Arbitrum has gone a more aggressive route, right? And and maybe more optimal if you get it right, but with I would argue a little bit more risk, right? Um, but if they nail it and it's perfect in, in you know, it works and, uh, you know, um, and they get to a point where like there's a lot of value stored there and there's Lindy and, you know, it's been working, then like you could argue that that's actually the better approach, right? Um, and so you just have these different sets of trade-offs and all of these different sets of trade-offs are like on this, you know, multi-dimensional, um, you know, uh, thing that we need to kind of assess to work out um, which works. But, you can you can theorize about them or you can kind of wait for some empirical evidence right and that's where I, I i think that you know in the ethereum community we love theorizing about things but also we have to be pragmatic and so when i look at polygon and i say like you know in a vacuum it's not a good idea right like you should be doing one of these other things but in practice it's fine and it's working and you know it's doing really like there's other users that are getting benefit from it today um, and you know the ecosystem is getting a benefit from it today because I'd much rather someone on Polygon than on you know CZ's chain. Like just it's a better place for you to be. 
you know, in, in absence of anything else. So that's kind of where all of these different things sort of sit. Hopefully that, that wasn't too, uh, no, that was perfect. um, I was able to actually follow up. Thank you. Okay, cool. So in, in the long run, do you see it, like, you know, the end game, long-term scenarios that eventually everything is a ZK rollup, like everything, that's the long-term optimal solution? Or do you think there is still a world yes. where you have a couple of optimistic rollup ecosystems with bridges between them? No, no chance. Like, well, so, so the only way that that world transpires where like, you know, is if we can't do all the things that, that, that everyone believes that like ZK rollups will be able to do. Um, so we can't do them now and there's, you know, limitations on what can be done. Um, but you know, the amount of progress that's been made, uh, in zero knowledge proofs and, and, you know, the like zero knowledge menagerie, um, over the last three years is, is pretty incredible. And I think there were a lot of people who sort of said, you're not going to be able to make this much progress this quickly. So, <clears throat> you know, you can't really bet against, uh, uh, people innovating, I would say. Um, and my expectation is that that innovation, particularly as like the ZK ecosystem gets more traction, it will drive more people to kind of look closely at it and, and start working on it. Um, and, and, you know, will hopefully create uh, more momentum. But yeah, that's where it's going long term. It has to. One, one issue I see like with, with let's say Polycon and, and you know, uh, there too, is that, you know, when you, when you can actually when you have cheaper transaction costs and you have more transactions in a particular block, what happens is that uh, that block space uh, gets consumed uh, fairly quickly. So it's, it's the kind of same thing as you would have, let's say, new hardware, right? So then developers are creating more applications that just consume more of the computation power. And we're always kind of like in the same uh, issue that we are using more and more uh, block space and, and then it becomes more and more expensive. And also like for the node, the archive <clears throat> nodes become uh, so big that it's become so centralized to actually run them. So there's always this issue, like I see like blockchain is a very much art when it comes to, you know, what you need to put into the, that computation level and on chain in terms of like data storage as well. So we can't build the, the chains or applications and smart contracts in a way that you know, you always can con- rely that you can compute on chain. That will just end up a situation where we're constant runoff, where uh, we just compute more and use more block space, and 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 then the cost will increase significantly. How do you um, how do you think this Uniswap uh, on Arbitrum? thing is going to play out whether like you know the community um has an interest on having uniswap on a layer two as soon as possible and you know arbitrum is now open to or in a few hours is open to um the developer whitelist and um i saw somewhere that curve is going to be launching on um uh, Arbitrum, I think in a Telegram group, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Um, but like that curve is going to be launching on Arbitrum relatively um, quickly or relatively soon. Um, and at the same time, you know, maybe people in in the Uniswap camp have a um, uh, 
have like some stakeholder interests in uh in optimism um and that also did this like business license because they got sick of everyone stealing their code <laughs> um they did this business license thing where um you know you can only deploy where they say how do you think this, that this is going to play out in in practice do you think we'll get um a uniswap on on arbitrum through governance or do you think it's going to be uh ruled by um king hayden I think you will. And I mean, I, I think Hayden even came out and said, like, everyone vote, right? Like, I, it, it feels somewhat inevitable. Um, <clears throat> and I guess, you know, for my campaign of, like, social coordination around optimism, uh, I'm a bit sad. Uh, you know, I've, I've kind of failed, I guess, in that regard, right? And I need to capitulate. Um, but, uh, but I, I again, it goes back to, like, you know, my preference my arbitrary preference is is immaterial in the grand scheme of things, right? Like, you know, my my view and my strategy is kind of in this market environment, right? And if the market is saying, no, like we want this thing here and it's ready and we want to test it out, then great. Like that's what the market's saying, right? And, and we need to allow the market to, to do its thing. Mm. Um, you know, we can't listen to, it's, it's really important that we ignore, you know, high profile individuals or, or whatever, you know, that are, that are saying something which, um, you know, may be wrong, right? Like if, you know, if we just listen to Hayden, if Hayden says, no, don't do this. Right. Um, you know, there's almost like a, you know, the anarchist in me says like, we should overrule that. Right. Like, even though it's, it goes against what I'm trying to do, like, and he's not saying that at all. Right. Like he's, he's absolutely not saying that he's saying like, go out and vote. Like, let's actually see if governance can, reach consensus on this thing. And I think it will. And I think the consensus will be deployed on Arbitrum, um, you know, and that's, that's probably a good thing. I, like I think that. we probably need to ask Soldier Boy for his opinion before we <laughs> make any yeah, uh, yeah. drastic actions. Let's see what he thinks. But I think um, just to add one touch to that, um, it, it, it's refreshing to see this level of engagement in the Uniswap community, because I think early on, there was some disillusionment in the sense that it, it became really, really hard to, um, to uh, actually implement anything through governance. Um, you know, I remember, uh, Kane, you were part of this, but like Andre tried to uh, oh, get a lot of votes valid, like delegated to him. And we, we tried to get like Wi-Fi and, and synthetics and a few assets like in, in the yield farming state when, and it was impossible. Um, and I think, um, you know, when I look at, ultimately, I think the community just felt a little disenfranchised at that point. It's like, well, what's the whole point if, if, if you have a token, but it's, it's kind of impossible to, like pass anything through governance. I think this is a true test of Uniswap governance that I think Hayden understands that. And, um, Hey, look, what's the worst that can happen? Like you deploy an Arbitrum, you can also deploy technically an optimism. I mean, there would be some fragmentation of liquidity, but I mean, there's billions of dollars to go around or, or more, right? Because, you know, so, so I think, uh, it would be in the best interest, uh, of perhaps large uni holders not to get in the way of the community. Yeah. And, you know, I, like, I just don't think it's the right thing to do, right? Like, I don't think, like, it would be a governance failure, arguably, mm -hmm. right, um, to, you know, to if large uni holders stepped in and, and blocked this from happening. It just doesn't, you know, um, if, like, from the perspective of Uniswap, the, the downsides as I see them are if you believe that the trade-offs that Arbitrum have made are, so flawed, right, as to, you know, uh, like negate the, the benefit of being there due to risk, right, then yes, you should block it. Other than that, um, 
I can't see how you can in, in good faith block something like that. And you kind of need to let the experiment play out. As a programming yeah. note, Stani is welcome back in once he figures out his connection or whatever's going on. <laughs> I don't know if he had to. <laughs> we got rugged by Stani. Yeah, we yeah. did not rug him like we did with the czars of Rugistan. Uh, he is more than welcome. To <laughs> Someone come in the chat said, uh, Stani's gone to short Wi Fi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think my question on the uni uh, governance was do you actually think it's healthy for it to show up with zero no votes? Like, it just seems kind of absurd to me that there's just 100% support. Yeah, I mean, so, so the synthetics community. Uh, has the synthetics ambassadors, right? And uh, and I think the SDAO has something, you know, the synthetics DAO has like 30,000 uni or something like that, maybe 40,000 uni. It's, it's a, a decent chunk. Um, and I think within the synthetics community, there's something like two to three million uh, uni um, that's delegated. Um, and so like the synthetics community could step in and, you know, the ambassadors could kind of coordinate a campaign to try and, um, you know, get two, three, four, five million votes uh, against uh, this. But like part of the reason why I think you're seeing almost no votes against it is because there's really no, you know, once once Robert kind of stepped in and, and uh, you know, introduced the chaos, which he loves to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, there's it's hard to make an argument for not doing it, right? Like Arbitrum is going to be ready before Optimism, um, you know, even for whitelisted, uh, you know, whitelisted projects, right? Like, it, it, I don't know that there's a, a decent argument against it. Um, again, like, a, short of you believe that there's like an existential threat to like Uniswap LPs for being on this network, right? Like, I can see a, a decent argument for blocking, you know, a proposal to launch on like BSC. That makes sense to me. Like, let's not do that, right? Um, but I don't think Arbitrum falls into that category. You know, it's a it's a very technical, esoteric debate about trade offs in implementation. Like, I, I think it's it's something that you know just needs to play out. So I'm not surprised that there are not many people that are stepping up to say like, no, stop doing this, right? Yeah, I want to switch gears a little bit and chat about um, about you know you, you, we've spoken a little bit about building through a bear market, and I want to chat about building through um, a a bull market because you know for the last I don't know last maybe six months it's been pretty frothy, um, but for um, for DeFi in particular it's been since last summer. Um, moving more and more like uh, uh like lots of attention lots of people wanting to move into the space lots of um uh like talent um building new things funding new things um etc um and i imagine it's, it's like pretty different like everyone that i speak to who's trying to build something new or is um is like trying to maintain an existing project they say the uh, most difficult thing um for for them is like there's like no one they can't hire anybody anymore like everyone that's good is already working on something and um everyone they want to hire is like like i can get two million dollars by just like you know going to whatever project and doing an audit for them so like why would i bother um doing this like you know 9 a.m. like 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. job or in in if you're Banteg like just all hours I've never seen Banteg be asleep he's just always online like pumping out code um so how has um 
synthetics manage that and Santiago if you're um, if you're still there maybe you've gone to the toilet or maybe you've rugged us like Stanny did um, <laughs> if you're if you're there like what about your portfolio companies and I'll have to repeat the uh, oh he's back he's um, yeah like how have your portfolio companies managed um, manage that Ken you want to go first sure um, so yeah so I, I think Building in a bear market and building in, in a bull market are, are obviously very different experiences. Um, they both have their challenges because it's, you know, in a bear market, no one's paying attention to you, right? In a bull market, it's incredibly hard to cut through the noise, right? So you almost get, you know, they almost resolved to the same thing where like no one's really paying attention to you, right? Like you might get like a blip of attention when you do something for like 15 minutes and then everyone, you know, there's just chaos again, right? There's just so many things happening. Um, so I think that consistently uh, maintaining awareness um, in, in the broader community is really challenging for everyone in a bull market. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that just means that like, it's hard to attract people to kind of focus on what you're doing and, and all of the kind of iterative experimental things that you are doing the, the bear market are just much harder. Um, and, and much harder to get engagement with. Um, and so like, you know, to an extent, you just need to kind of say, okay, well, we've got our plan. Like we'll keep doing, you know, obviously we've been working really hard on the optimism stuff, right? The things that we had already kind of committed to, you just keep doing those things and you accept that like, no one's really going to notice what's going on until, you know, something major happens or whatever. Um, I think in terms of hiring, it's probably much harder for new projects to hire um, in a way, right. In a sense, like, you know, the, the interesting thing of, about the bull market dynamic is like the seniorage profits you can get from launching a token are so high that it's, it's hard to attract people, um, you know, to come and work on an existing project. Right. But there are a lot of people in the ecosystem who don't want to launch their own project. They don't want to be in startup mode. They want to work in an existing project that's got, you know, continuity and longevity and everything. And so I think for, you know, places like Aave, I know they've hired a bunch of people, synthetics, like we can still attract talent. You know, we've got a billion dollar treasury. We can, you know, we can uh, provide sufficient incentives to, to get people um, to come along. We can never compete with the incentives of launching your own token, obviously. Um, but, you know, we can get something that that's kind of, uh, you know, approximates that. So um, that, you know, if you were, if you're like a, um, you know, a 50 million market cap token or something like that, that's been around for a year, I would imagine it's kind of fucked right now trying to find people to join you. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, that's, I, I think that's broadly, um, you know, the, the difference is that one, it's just so much noise. It's hard to get attention. The other one, everyone's left. So there's no attention to be had. Yeah. And just before Santiago, before you, you answer and see if that's, um, similar for your, uh, uh, portfolio company um portfolio companies like when people come on this show and we ask them you know uh how should people that want a job in crypto get into crypto today we often hear a lot of like go to the discord hang out around projects just be helpful and then um like like ask if anyone's hiring or sometimes people will reach out to you kane we need to know does this happen in practice have you ever hired an anonymous duck from a discord channel <laughs> So, so I think within synthetics, there are a number of ways that you can get paid, 
right? You can get paid as a core contributor. You can get paid as someone on like the grants DAO, the ambassadors, uh, the Spartan Council, each of which have their own kind of specialized roles, right? And so I think three or four out of the eight Spartan Council members are not, right? Like, so you can apps and they get paid. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not sure exactly at the current price what it is, but they get paid something on the order of like $180,000 USD a year to be on the council, right? So like those four anons or whatever that are that are on the Spartan council that have been on there for the last you know, six months or whatever. Yes, like you can get a job by being in a discord, by being helpful, by doing all of that stuff. Um, we've also hired three core contributors uh, or three core contributors have joined the project from bounties that I post on Twitter. So if I posted, you know, um, like there was a guy, Mitch, I posted a bounty on Twitter saying like, Hey, can someone build this loan interface? Because I was getting pissed off that I couldn't open loans. Uh, and, um, you know, built this like shorting interface because I was sick of going to eat this game to try and, you know, do it. I think I paid like a thousand SNX or something like that. Right. So it was like 10 grand. This guy smashed it out in three days and, then all of the the front end engineers were like, we need to have this guy, and so they went and, and petitioned the SDAO to go and you know offer um, him a role as a core contributor. So like that can totally happen, and that was just on Twitter. It, there's I've got a bounty right now, which is like rewriting. Um, I think there's two bounties out there at the moment. So like if you do that bounty and you do a good job, you will almost definitely get brought on as core contributor in synthetics. There you go, so, yeah, that's how you get into the synthetics core contributors team. And like these, wait, this this council thing, it was, did you say $180,000 a year? Yeah. All right, Maybe so what I'm going to do yeah. after the stream is I'm going to join the synthetics <laughs> Discord, I'm going to set up two accounts, and every time there's like a discussion, I'm going to join both sides of the discussion with different accounts <laughs> until I get hired. Like I'm going to be right all the time on one of the accounts. Uh, and that's how, that's how I'm going to pay for the bear market. Uh, Santiago, how have your uh, portfolio companies like, uh, especially mm -hmm. newer projects that um, are, are starting out and struggling with uh, hiring, mm -hmm. um, how's that like working out for them in a bull market? How are they keeping, uh, like coping with it? Um, yeah, it, it, it's tough. I mean, I do think that, uh, it is very true that there are opportunistic devs out there that a lot of them were involved in a larger protocol and said, Hey, look, I'm going to leave and I'm going to start this own thing. I, I sympathize with that view in some capacity. Like, I think you develop like some sort of intuition of people that are just going to want to do something because it's an easy flip and, and, and a cash grab and others that genuinely think, Hey, look, I'm going to build a second, third layer of DeFi because I know about maker and I'm intimately familiar with synthetics. I've for a long time had this vision and, you know, naturally there, I respect that. Um, and for those guys, you know, it's one or two co like co-founders and they whip it out and, and they, you know, at some point, I, you know, they, <laughs> they, they, they do read. Yeah, no, they, they, they whip up the code and like, they're the ones that like, you know, it's a two, three man shop and, and, and that's it. Right. The, the protocols that are struggling a bit to Kane's point are those that like are mid mid market, like market cap. And I mean, Wi-Fi in some capacity struggle with this. Um, for a long time, I felt that the core guys were not getting paid enough. They started losing devs to uh, another protocol that was more well capitalized and was offering a much, much like much more attractive, lucrative packages to their devs. And that was the whole thing that inspired this mint um, to, you know, recapitalize Wi-Fi in some capacity. And, you know, Wi-Fi didn't have a treasury like Synthetics or Aave to, to really pay really talented guys. And so that, that was a, 
it, it was handicapping the protocol. Um, at the end of the day, if you don't have those kind of incentives, it's not going to work. Like people don't work for free. And at some point you get offered a big package and there is a price to any dev out there for the most part. Um, and so like Wi-Fi struggle with that. It's in a much better place now, I think. Uh, but other protocols, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it is very difficult. Uh, I see, you know, a lot of a lot of devs going to Solana and porting over what has worked in Ethereum and just tinkering with there. Part of it, I think, is just the excitement of building in a new kind of sandbox and another just, you know, I think, Sam Gravitas or what have you, that, you know, hey, like, let's be part of this ecosystem. I understand that. But it's very difficult. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't know. Like, I do continue to believe that, like, um, from the perspective of um, new t new talent that is, like, a Google or Stripe or Brex or, like, these really, like, um, comfortable roles, uh, the reality is that in crypto, there's much more upside. And not just financial, but also... I feel like devs, Kane, you probably know this better, but my appreciation, and I'm, I'm not a developer, is that the really the smartest guys want to work on really hard problems. And and that's true for, I mean, Synthetics is a really hard protocol. Like, it's, it's, it's not a simple AMM. Like, there are still a lot of unsolved challenges. And I think the, the smart, the really, really smart guys um, at some point are, are very much into that and motivated by, by solving complex problems and so crypto has no shortage of that um and so you know a lot of the guys that are in optimism like optimism has attracted you know folks that don't have to work a single day in their life for yeah. for years now and that's like emblematic i think that's the really cool part of ethereum is you know the 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 really the nerds the really smart devs made a lot of money early on because they took a flyer on ethereum and but they're still here and they're still building for the most part um, and they recycle and they go back to projects and a lot of them are focused on, on L2s and scalability. And so to me, that's like the most, uh, encouraging part. And then of course you have a different host of characters that, you know, continuously have a pattern of trying to build something, giving up and then building another one. And, and, and I guess, you, you know, who the type of folks I'm talking about here, but they just flip and go on to the next project, the next project. And, you know, at some point that kind of bullshit stops. So you think Dan Larimer's on to his last one? This is the like, oh no, it's not going to be his last, but uh, but you know, <laughs> definitely, definitely uh, not yeah. his last. Definitely not his last. Yeah, like I, I think, I think to your point, um, Santiago, around you know, uh, like people who are still here, um, you know, all of the synthetic OGs, like including the community members, including you know, uh, people on the council, like those people don't need to work. Like they were, they were buying. Yeah, Haven tokens at three cents, right? You know, I, I don't know what the upside is, like 11 million percent, whatever, some crazy number, right? But like, um, you know, they, like the people who are convicted um, and some people, you know, some people left, right? Some people like retired or whatever, um, you know, like Nocturnal and uh, although G's back, uh, you know, DJ's Spartan's back, but, um, you know, they kind of semi-retired and, and that's their choice, right? But, you know, the majority of people who were there then are still here now because we're not done, you know? Like, I could be like, yeah, okay, cool, thanks, that was fun. You know, I did some stuff, see you later and go live on an island for the rest of my life, right? But, like, I'm not done. This thing, you know, it's not it's not finished. Um, you know, there's still a lot of work to do. Technically, you do it's live on an island already. <laughs> Big yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, an island jail. An island jail. <laughs> 
the uh well i'll give you i'll give you two two data points one is like uh so i hired uh this guy nick he i told you the story but he's he's 18 i think he now turned 19 but uh i discovered him on twitter so um you know for for me it was this guy was just leaking a lot of alpha and um i've, I've then also like hired a contractor to do like on-chain analytics this guy was like building pretty interesting analysis and uh, I've, uh, you know, pay him on like a weekly basis. Uh, he, I'm probably going to bring him on like full time. Uh, and Twitter for me, at, le at least like, I mean, at, on the investing side is, is interesting because there's a lot of folks that are, are really smart. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I, I think, uh, everyone has like an opportunity cost, a really high opportunity cost. But, uh, I think, uh, for me, crypto is going to continue to attract more and more talent because, you know, at some point people want to be relevant, not just make money. Uh, cause if you want to make money, go, go to Google. Like Google offers like a really, really comfortable package for a lot of these people. But most people leave like the, most people just transition through Google and leave to to do something else. Um, and that's not necessarily true of Ethereum. A lot of people come here, stay and build. But I, I think there's also a, an aspect of like, you know, anti-credentialism as well, right? Like you can't just oh, yeah. turn up to Google and be like, oh, hey, I'm smart. Like, I mean, you know, there's stories of that, right? But like realistically, no, like, you know, you need to have gone to, you know, one of 10 different universities around the world or whatever, um, you know, have like certain credentials. You can turn up to DeFi today and take two protocols, mash them together in some weird way that no one thought of and, you know, create your own protocol with its own governance token, its own community. And you can do really well financially from that, right? Like, and those incentives and, and those low barriers are what continue, like it's, it's the double-edged sword, right? Like someone can exploit that dynamic, right? But someone can also leverage that dynamic to build something amazing. And my view is like, I'll take the ex exploitation for the trade-off of, you know, having that be a thing that like some 18 year old kid can turn up and build something, you know, while they're still in high school and, you know, you just go, holy shit, how do we not think of that? Right. And, and, you know, the financial incentives are there. Um, and you know, they don't need to have any credentials. They're living in a ditch. doesn't Can matter. You, uh, yeah. You, you said a lot. I think it feels like, it feels like the only industry and maybe it's not the only industry, but I'm a very sheltered person, but, um, it feels like the only industry where you, it doesn't matter like who you are, what you look like, where you're from, what your background is, like whether you've got a university degree, you know, like uh, like the only thing that really matters is your contributions, um, because like most most of the time you're just seen through an avatar and a username, and um, you know, and like what matters is your like what you contribute, what your uh, thoughts are, with like whether you can think critically about stuff and uh, offer suggestions that like provide progression rather than um you know stagnation and that's what one of the things i really really like about the crypto community like there's so many people i just don't know like where they're from who they are i don't know what age they are like weirdly that everyone always turns out to be british i don't know if you've noticed this but in crypto it's like wait are they british as well like how come everyone <laughs> lives in the uk but um mm. like i i like that you, you don't know who any of these people are um like half the people i follow on twitter they're just usernames and like an anime profile picture but they have some of the the best thinking in the space and like i, I wouldn't know if i walked past them on the street i had no idea who, who they are and uh but i like really like admire their thoughts i learn from them i um like think about what their their thoughts are in relation to my own investment theses or how i'm approaching uh approaching stuff and i think that's one of the things that i like i cherish about space and 
um, really admire and I don't see it replicated elsewhere. Like if you yeah. go to um, startups and big companies, the best startups try and uh, keep that, that sort of environment, that sort of like um, rigor and critical thinking first, uh, facts first um, sort of culture. Mm-hmm. But it loses it at some point, inevitably. Like it, it descends into politics. It descends into who's got the most senior title or who knows the CEO the best. Um, and, and crypto has managed to, uh, to maintain a, a culture where um, someone can make a Twitter account brand new ox whatever type some shit and everyone goes holy shit this guy's a genius this is like this is sick and then um uh, all of a sudden they're relevant yeah i mean i think um so so get going launched this week and to me it's one of those like pillars of web3 which is for, for so many years i mean it's, it's routed and connected capital with talent um through grants and like you know I, okay DeFi is powerful because capital moves at the speed of information and and globally like untethered pools of capital just coordinate and move and that's a lot of energy like you thought 2017 was was big you think no 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 like i don't i don't think people truly realize the extent of that energy of moving this amount of capital and as as on ramps become easier and trustless ways of bridging and porting over assets through chains i mean you're going to see a lot of capital move and, and i think that's explosive like that totally shatters in many ways the financial system, which is very archaic. But the more interesting thing for me is look, DeFi may or may not work. There's like, put that aside. I mean, that's really powerful. But the the, the talent, the human capital component of this space is 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 perhaps the most interesting one because it just the 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 compounding effects of innovation. Silicon Valley is a very localized place. It's very elitist. It's very ivory tower. Um, and it look, it's worked. It's created and, and, and cranked out a lot of the really like interesting startups. But what you're seeing now is like, um, you know, this global pool of capital, uh, sorry, of, of, of talent that just joins and, you know, it's, it's, it's like explosive. I think, uh, you're like scratching the surface more and more people are realizing that they, you know, as, as long as you have an internet connection, you can go on these, this community and, and contribute. And unlike, I guess people would say, well, what's the difference now? Cause the internet has been around for like a long time. Like the difference is that you can now capture value in a very clear way your contributions exactly and that's shit, it I, when i talk to a lot of tech investors this is why i think like they become interested in this because they don't want to talk about bitcoin they care about ethereum because i'm like yo if, if you like silicon valley well you just go along innovation in the best way possible and express that okay through eth maybe none of this financial advice but i think that's why they become interesting in this narrative of okay i'm going to make a bet on this ecosystem on open source and i'm going to capture that value and there's a very clear connectivity between network growth and powering all these different applications and pillars, whether it's DeFi, NFTs, metaverses, whatever. And if you're empowering that and ETH being the substrate that you need to consume in order to operate in the system. And as soon as they understand that, they're like, oh, now you're telling me that EIP 1559 is going in July. Okay. Like I, I get it. Like, okay, it's going to burn X amount. Okay. That's interesting. But, but the human capital piece for me has always been, the most encouraging out, out of anything that, um, you know, to your point, Kobe, like no one, no one gives, no one cares where you come from and, and the ability to like mash up these ideas, in a very wild environment, um, is going to just create so much different business models and innovation that, you know, Silicon Valley is just candidly not going to be able to compete. Yeah. I think 
to your point, the incentives on the economic side is what makes all the difference because there are some like open ecosystems with around open source code and in the web space. And, uh, but there's just no financial incentives. Like there's, you know, packages within node modules that run fricking Netflix and the person that wrote it has never had any financial incentive ever, uh, to do what they did. And that just doesn't exist in crypto. Like there's always these economic incentives for participating uh, on the code side. I mean, or at least you have the choice to, to go that route, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, yeah, like exactly. Stani would know this, but like Linux, like Thorba Thor Thor or what's his name? Um, he, didn't, he didn't make much money, sadly. No, no. yeah. Like and, he and created very... one of the best standards out there and and that's very, very common in, uh, in that space. Uh, Kane, you mentioned earlier that, um, you know, synthetics isn't done. And, you know, the, we're still on this trip from DeFi, despite it f hitting at least mainstream of crypto. Although I would debate that it's not repriced enough yet. Like <laughs> when, when you look at like total market cap valuations. Uh, yeah. But my question is like, where are we going? Like, what's the, what's the road look like? And specifically, I would love to know, like, do you think DeFi will end up fairly invisible to an end consumer? Like you have an app on your phone and you're using DeFi, but you don't actually know it, or is that not the right goalpost? Uh, I, I think it, I think it might like to answer the, I guess the end of your question uh, first, like, the CDFI idea of like, you know, centralized services that have, um, you know, maybe to go back to Santiago's point distribution, right, advantages, um, you know, so Binance within crypto has a distribution advantage over every DeFi protocol combined, right? Um, FTX, same thing, right? Like, um, you know, these centralized services have huge distribution advantages. And then, you know, you go outside of crypto, go to something like, you know, PayPal or, or Facebook or whatever. And, and, you know, then it's orders of magnitude more as well. Um, so the idea that these institutions could integrate DeFi services in a kind of, you know, abstracted way is feels sensible ish. But then the flip side of that is like, you know, it becomes a Trojan horse, right? Like you want to control this thing, right? Like you're, you're just pouring, um, you know, fuel on the fire if you do something like that. Right. Because, uh, it's very easy to then get disintermediated and have people route around Facebook if they know that like the direct services is available, you know, in this other fashion. Um, so, you know, when you look at something like Facebook, they don't do things that they can't control and they can't control DeFi. And so the idea, and you know, the same goes for every, you know, uh, huge tech monopoly, right? Like Microsoft and Google and, you know, all these different people, like they want to have control and ownership. That's why they acquire things. That's why they, build modes. That's why they do all of, you know, all of these regulatory, uh, you know, uh, tactics and, and what have you. It's all about consolidating their advantage as, as incumbents. You don't invite a bunch of like crazy crypto anarchists into your house if that's your goal, right? Like they'll blow the place up, right? And so, you know, as much as I think like it kind of, it's a sensible narrative, I don't know if that's the way it's going to play out. Um, which is fine. Like, you know, maybe it'll be some combination thereof. Like, you know, we have seen within crypto Celsius and, and you know, um, some of these guys leveraging DeFi to kind of do their services without telling people, um, you know, and, and you know, uh, boosting yield. Um, but, I, but I do think that uh, DeFi in order to kind of, and, and crypto generally in order to kind of break into like the mainstream needs to kind of go carve out its own pathway to get there. Um, and the UX is not there, you know, 
the costs are not there, scalability is not there, we can't support 10 million users on a, on a DAP, et cetera. And this is where, you know, I think the tech, like we're still very early because the tech is at least probably five years away in my mind from like being able to compete with a database, you know, uh, running in a, in, you know, a, and I mean, you will never be able to directly compete, but like to get close enough to it that like the, the marginal difference is, is small enough that people don't care. Um, so I just think that that's going to take years to play out and that's why we're still super early. And, and, you know, we might have another cycle of, of bear market building before we get that inflection point, uh, you know, um, but yeah, like, I guess, yeah, I guess that's, that, that's kind of my view is that like, it's possible, but it, it seems less likely given the kind of outlook of those, those tech monopolies and, and how they approach things. Yeah. Uh, Santiago, last time you were here, you promised that you would tell us the story of how Yams oh happened. <laughs> yeah, so said, so I, I know. You said I, you I had to ask for Kane's permission, and look, oh, here. here we go. Okay, I know, right? So, oh, Kane, I, I called yeah. Kane out in a, in in one group, so I'll let him tell the story because he'll probably tell better. <laughs> God, um, yeah. Okay, so um, so Yan did a pretty smart thing, right? Which was like tapping into existing communities, you know, with these pools, right? Of you know, just like dump your SNX or whatever, and and. Uh, you know, you can, you can farm yams, right? Now, int- like there's some, there's even one of the founders of yam or one of the early contributors of yam was actually a synthetics front runner, um, a, like gray hat, right? So like this guy uh, pulled a lot of value out of, uh, out of synthetics in the early days, right? Like a lot of ETH, um, which wasn't maybe worth that much now, but I'm assuming he sat on it and it probably is worth a lot of money now. Um, and so, and I didn't know that, 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 um, that he was involved in yam. Anyway, um, uh, like Santiago pinged me and he was like, are you doing yam? And it was like six in the morning and I was, I was in bed and I was like, no, I'm not doing it. And he was like, <laughs> oh, come on. And I was like, all right, fine. And so I like rolled myself out of bed, dumped a bunch of SNX in there, started farming it. And then I think it was like maybe two or three days later, I got a ping from this guy who was front runner. Like we knew each other, you know, from the synthetics community and he helped out a lot while also front running. That's why I say gray hat, right? It wasn't, wasn't pure black hat, um, but it also wasn't white hat either. Um, he didn't give the money back to the, to the community, put it that way. Um, and so, so he was like, Hey, we got this problem. Um, you know, we're trying to uh, coordinate some, um, you know, uh, yam whales to like help us to like, you know, uh, basically pass this governance proposal to, um, you know, fix this bug that we've got. Um, and I was like, oh, okay, I know some yam whales, um, you know, myself as one, right? Um, and so I jumped in and I was like, all right, like, wh- what do you need us to do? And I like pinged a couple of people who I knew were farming um, and we did it and we, you know, we got the thing over the line. But uh, I think there was about 24 hours or something like that. And so I doubled down and I was like, you know what, like, if this thing needs, you know, how X amount of uh, yam, like, I'm going to make sure that I get as much as possible. And so I think I pulled out like, I don't know, some crazy amount, like 2 million SNX or something from like staking and dumped it into this thing. And just like the, the yield just went like insane. Right. Um, and like yam yams were just like, you know, it was like a yam gusher, right? Like just pouring out of, uh, out of the smart contract, um, into my wallet and like stake them all. And then the, the thing didn't work. Right. And there was a, a group of people talking about it. And I said at the time, uh, you know, and, and a bunch of people had a bunch of different proposals, some of them more harebrained than others. And I was like, you know, you guys have the momentum here. 
um, you know, what you built really cool. Like this was one of the first like really crazy yield farm like things, right? This, the, the start of the food coin uh, chaos, right? Um, and I said, you know, if you stop now and try and get an order and like go through this whole process, then you're just going to lose relevance, right? Like people are going to go on, they're going to do something else. Like, and you know, I, and I still think that would have happened. I said, what you need to do is release another version of the token, um, migrate everyone over to that, uh, you know, so that they've got something that allows them to kind of continue to transact or whatever. So Yam V2 was born, right? Which was this like placeholder token while they waited to get the audits and everything. Um, and then, you know, uh, from there, like, uh, you know, there were a bunch of things that happened, but um, they had to pay out like the incentives to all the people who had like tried to save the protocol. And, and, you know, it was a bit, it was a bit chaotic uh, from that point, like, but like that was, yeah. Maybe I'll say like, uh, no, the, the funny part for me was like, I still remember that uh, I want to NFT this and we should game, but it was like, it, it was, it, it started like this whole like yield farming craze, like, okay, compound exactly a year ago, compound launch, which is, I guess just, you know, pay tribute to that. Although synthetics is the OG, like yield farming, no one gives them credit for whatever reason. It was like compound that started DeFi summer. But uh, yeah, like I remember, cause I saw the staking contract. It's like, you know, synthetics, like opens up. Yeah, and I'm like, Kane, like before anything happens, I need one of your guys to just verify. To this this. That yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I don't want to do it. I said, Kane, you got to do it. And, and, and I knew exactly when he, he was okay. Cause he said, yeah, I don't know. It's, it, it's good. Like you can go. And I was the first, blo I, I was the first block in. Like, I'm like, all right, well, and, and I, I stick at some, some of my snacks. And then I knew, I knew exactly when Kane showed up to the party because <laughs> I went from, from getting all these yam to like no yam. And I was like, okay, well, the yield just totally collapsed. <laughs> yeah, I just crushed and, the yield curve. Yeah. <laughs> he crushed yeah. the yield. You're just yeah. a good friend. Yeah. You're just a good um, friend. You're sharing the yield. Just having to be like 99%. Yeah, the, <laughs> the funny, the funny thing is that uh, maybe I, I'm, I'm not supposed to, uh, well, I, I pinged uh, one of them, probably the one of the best known like um, white hat hackers in the space. I said, "Hey, have you looked at Yam?" And and this is right around the time that I was pinging Kane uh, to verify the contract. And he said, "I have briefly." They said everything's okay, like the staking contract's okay, but there was an issue with the rebasing uh, contract. And and I was I looked back at that, and he was so right as he always is. Um, and yeah. of course he's, uh, but uh, yeah, it was it, it was fun. Events yeah, like yeah, this just con convince me that the crypto movie, or the like, the crypto movie has to be a comedy movie. There's no yeah. way that you can do a crypto movie and it's serious and like gritty because it's it's completely yeah. stupid. None of it makes sense. It's farm animals like <laughs> th throwing millions of dollars into unverified contracts to get yams out. Like it's it's a comedy. That's all it is. It's a comedy movie. So I think one thing that yeah. was also, you know, one bit of trivia uh, is that those staking contracts that were used, right, were actually built by Anton from Anton and one of the guys from One Inch, right? Um, and so the reason why we knew them so well is because we deployed like 85 versions of these over, you know, as SETH incentives and all the Uniswap incentives, like all of these incentives were using this contract. And I mean, that just goes to show how valuable it is you know, for, for these open source contracts to exist, right? Like um, they were able to take this contract and deploy it and know with pretty good confidence that A, it had been ordered multiple times, B, and it wasn't perfect. Like there were definitely issues in the contract in terms of like how it handled certain things, but it was secure in the sense that like you could dump 
50 million dollars in there and, and no one was going to take it it had pretty good lindy um and yeah just the fact that like that code was open source for the yam guys to just turn up and be like yep thanks very much drop it in and then tweak the incentives and, and start this crazy thing um is exactly what i'm referring to in terms of like low barriers to entry right like they had this okay. wild idea and then the tools were there for them to like put it together really quickly yeah, that, that, that's the more serious note about YAM and all this stuff is that, like, I mean, the staking contract secures most of, like, a lot of the TVL in DeFi. Like, there's certain things that you want to copy, uh, and there's certain things that you don't want to innovate. And I think, like, the, that's the power of, like, um, that's why I think the the, in, like, the innovation rate of, like, of DeFi and just open source in general is much steeper than walled gardens and closed um, code that you see in, yeah. in, in regular Web2. And so... Um, it can be challenging at times, but, uh, but for the most part, like that's, uh, the, the one that benefits the most, honestly, the consumer out of all of this space, the consumer is the one, the, the, the amount of consumer preferences, uh, and surplus being created is, is massive. Yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense. So we've touched on, um, you know, uh, Ethereum, DeFi, building in a bear market, building in a bull market, uh, alternative layer ones. Ledger, is there anything on your list that we haven't touched that you wanted to get get into? Um, no, nothing major. I think that one of the things I would be curious about is what each of you would recommend uh, for newer project founders uh, or people in crypto Maybe each of you do one, like Kane, if you did project founders in Santiago, you talked about more investors. What would you, what tips would you give them like getting started today, especially in the heat of the bull market, you know? Yeah, so, I mean, project founders, the thing that I still see, again, my opinion, right? And, and you know, it's one data point. Uh, I still see people fucking up is going down this path of launching like a centralized entity to raise capital um versus just going down first right um we've got really good examples like Barnbridge, uh alluvium um you know there's there's multiple other ones there's some that have uh kind of pivoted quickly from a centralized uh entity raising capital to a dow first like investors in the space one of the nice things about a bull market right is that you know like being founder friendly is this kind of meme in Silicon Valley, right? Like at the moment, the crypto ecosystem is fucking founder friendly. Like you can get, get away with almost anything. And the, the flip side of that is right. That scams and exploitation and all that sort of stuff happen. But if someone comes up with a really fucking amazing, crazy idea, it will be funded. Like in this environment, someone will fund it, right? And so it allows you to experiment with capital formation in a way that you just can't in a bear market, right? Like in a bear market, you need to turn up and do all of the right things and maybe you'll get some money, right? But in, in a bull market, you can do weird shit and you can experiment and those weird experiments become the new status quo later when they're successful. Um, and so, you know, as a founder, don't be afraid to uh, do things which maybe seem like slightly off the beaten path because most likely if you're highly convicted and you can kind of come up with a, a compelling narrative and, and you know, uh, sort of comprehensible, um, you know, reasoning for, for investors is the, they'll participate. Um, and so this DAO first idea of like create a DAO, you know, launch uh, some kind of like pre-launch token before the protocol's ready, um, put, inject money into it, use that as like seed capital rather than like launching an LLC and doing an equity raise 
Oh, like just the flexibility that that gives you um, is is incredible. Uh, and we've seen projects leverage that. And, and you know, uh, I think we should try and experiment more in that regard. And don't be afraid to experiment because the market is very friendly to founders, very friendly to teams right now. Um, and you can you can use that to your advantage. Yeah, I mean, and this is what like 2017, you needed that kind of euphoria and speculation to really just get off the ground a lot of the ideas that you see today. Um, and, and so this is probably the, the, the peak of the cycle will fuel the next the next peak because you needed to, there's some wild ideas out there that, need, that will get funded. It might not work in the cycle, but will get funded. Um, yeah. I guess from an investing standpoint, and again, none of this is advice or recommendation, but when, so I came from a world of like investing in traditional markets and like in, in traditional, like in private equity and then in, in venture. And when I first came to crypto, I said, you know, in traditional markets, it's, you almost assume that everything's armed out. There's, there is a guy that has better information than you in the stock market that has an edge that you don't, that has a better algorithm. And so I'm, I'm, I was very skeptical of, of building an edge in crypto at first. And then over the years, I've warmed up to the idea that a lot of people don't do the work. They just don't. And it's ironic because these are open, transparent systems. Like you can in real time monitor these these systems, synthetics and uh, and, and the level of originations and the maker burn and like die supply. And you're able to ingest all this data to to really construct a very precise view and update your models and and like really understand the traction that is happening under the hood. But I'm sort of convinced very few people do that. And, and it's just sort of like, uh, and I get it. Why? I mean, I think it's, it's, you can be distracted. And so my, my suggestion is like the way that you build an edge is it is very possible still because, um, there's a lot of data and with data, you can really infer, like you can go to a community. It's really hard to like, maybe like there are like qualitative things that you can like infer about a founder and a team, which is super important, but there's a lot of like really quantitative stuff that you can look at to say like, like you would have looked at last year, that was defined 2019. You would have like looked at the number of activity and said, yeah, there's something here. Like it's, it's gaining traction and it's liquid. Like you're able to de-risk, you're able to manage these positions. And so my advice would be like, you know, I think in order to do that, you have to kind of, that's why I'm purely focused on DeFi. And look, it's really hard to still track everything that's happening on DeFi. Um, but my, you know, my suggestion would be like, experiment with like one or two protocols first and like go deep and go and, and the minute you think that you've gone deep you can continue to go deeper and uh yeah like you know this weekend for instance i think that's where you really get rattled if you haven't done the work you will get absolutely rattled and this market will take your coins your cheap coins and 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 that's that's the name of the game right uh, and just the other advice is like like unless you really know what you're doing just don't use leverage like like for the for the love of God, like I, I think it's it's a very dangerous game to play because you don't want to be the Talib Turkey, right? It's a turkey that has a hundred great days in their life, and then one day you just boom, you get chopped. And I, I hate to see that because like this is venture, right? It's super early, and the last thing you want is to, like you just know that once a year, this market will like collapse like 50 percent overnight. And if you're not if you can't absorb that you're probably going to get blown out. And, and my advice would just be like, play, play the long game. 
Yep. It is funny how as cycles progress, people get more and more confident with leverage when it's the absolute <laughs> opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be like confident with leverage at the start of a bull market when it's like, you know, if Bitcoin breaks out of the previous all time high of 20,000 and goes to 20,500 and dies, then like, like, no, like, yeah, I mean, maybe it was a scam, but like the, the history suggests that's very unlikely to happen. Once it breaks out of a new all time high, it's the most bullish event of all time. It's literally an all time high. Um, you're supposed to be heavy on leverage then. You're supposed to wean off leverage when the chart looks like a single green line upwards. <laughs> you're supposed to like move to trading spot or you're supposed to even sell all your spot and like use an option strategy to capture upside and minimize downside. But um, as the uh, as the cycle goes on, people get more and more confident with leverage and they, um, they maybe they finally figured out how Binance works. <laughs> just like, oh yeah, great. I could just slide that up. <laughs> I realize what that button does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it is counterintuitive. It's a, a complete wrong way around. But it is very sad. And not only just if you don't know what you're doing, I think a lot of people that do know what they're doing still get wiped out on leverage very often. Like, <clears throat> I mean, I, I what it was it, 50%? In crypto, like you sorry, go on, Ledge. If it's 50% down and you don't stop yourself out or whatever else, uh, have some kind of fixed risk there, then you're gone. It doesn't matter what leverage it is. If it's any two, you know, 1.5, 2x, you can be gone. Yeah, exactly. Like in all of my, um, like the last 10 years of doing doing crypto stuff, I've seen some incredible analysts, some incredible uh, traders um, have like hero runs, get overconfident and then lose it all in a single trade, like b completely blow up their accounts. And, you know, I'm a massive fan of uh, of Path, of Cryptopathic, who I think is one of the best traders I've ever met, like Child Prodigy. Um, and maybe he's not, maybe he's a bit old now, he's just hit 22 and he's losing his touch, but um, like he's, like even he had like a, a really terrible ETH trade on the on the nuke. It didn't go um, like he held onto a reentry way too way too high and took a massive hit. The, I think the biggest portfolio hit he's ever had. And I consider him like one of the the people that definitely knows what they're doing. If anyone's allowed to use leverage, it's path. Um, and he can still take massive drawdowns. So um, like. Uh, it's not just if you don't know what you're doing. It's like, look at the chart. It's it's parabolic. Wind your leverage down a mm. little bit. Make sure you're being careful with it and don't get liquidated on a, you know, on a candle that in five years you won't even be able to see on the chart because it's like completely minuscule. Okay. It's like, it's nothing. Like you're just but, I mean, coins even, to see like, Even, oh yeah, true. I think we've all done that. Um, <laughs> I, but I think like even even short of like some crazy candle, right? Like you can still get blown up. Like I remember, uh, I guess it was 2019, mid 2019. Um, I, I was like, all right, like it's happening here. I think we'd hit 300 or something like that. And I was like, all right, like we're going back to old time high. Like this is happening. Like bear markets over got, you know, a little, a little bit of irrational exuberance and opened up a, a levered long position at like 300, went to 350. I was like, yep, amazing. Like everything's working. Instead of taking some profit and, and deleveraging, I just let it ride. And I got bled out over the course of like six months. Like that <laughs> position just stayed open for like six, every day I would look at it and be like, PL is like negative 10%. Then the next day, negative 12%. Like it doesn't always take like one candle to blow you up. You can get yeah. just bled dry so, over like six months and you know funding rate was killing me like it was it was really painful that was a painful trade um that i just had to watch with and the, literally just watched it for months and months and months until i finally was like all right yeah done. with a couple of the beneficiaries of the uh twitch raids i've talked to them about just opsec or security or whatever 
And I've talked to him about like the Horcrux method of basically just divide your coins amongst different places so that if you lose one or get one gets stolen somewhere, then you just don't die, you know, like you still exist. Um, and if yeah. you're going to do leverage, like that's got, that's like a mandate, right? Like you cannot, if mm. you're going to play leverage, you cannot have your entire crypto existence attached to that one position. Um, because yeah. there's no other, no other Horcruxes. You're just out of the game. And it, yeah. I am baffled when people not only use leverage, but then they get liquidated and they get liquidated on an account where their everything gets liquidated. It's not like a piece of the pie. Yeah. All right, All right, we've been lost. going for two hours. <laughs> Kane, you're here. You've got a platform. you got to tell us what is coming for synthetics. What do the people need to know? Can you leak some alpha? Are we going to get synthetics V2, V3, V4, V5, V6? Is V2 ever going to happen? <laughs> so, What's uh, the future so I, of synthetics? I had a really long article that I posted last week or, or the week before um, that you know basically had all of the alpha that I had stored up of like. You but know, our viewers can't read. And I just, I know, I know. So <laughs> I'll try and I'll try and uh, I'll try and give the the highlights from that. Um, so basically, what we've decided to do, I, I guess, ish. I mean, when I say decided, like the proposal that I made right to the community is to split up the team, uh, the core, you know, the core contributors, the uh, the the core team um core engineers into two camps right similar to what uh, ethereum did with like um you know eth1x and eth2.0 like really make them like separate bodies that you know don't need to interact with each other too much because the challenge of maintaining the existing system is that it's always going to be the higher priority there's always going to be a fire there's always going to be something you need to deal with and so we've decided to do that to give time to the people that are working on synthetics v3 um which and this goes back to you know the comment that santiago made about maker like it's very frustrating to have to maintain an existing system i think even vitalik said this at one point like about e2.0 he's like if i could just shut this he probably didn't say it exactly this way i'm paraphrasing but he's like if i could just shut this fucking thing down and and start again and I could, in two weeks i could build this you know 10 times better right um you know because you just have this legacy of maintaining you know, in that case, you know, hundreds of millions of billions of dollars worth of value. Like if we could shut Ethereum down and just say like, let's take a break for three months. Like we're going to go and like rebuild it and we'll relaunch it in three months. Like it would be a much better network. Right. Um, you know, we could, we can make some decisions that were much more aggressive and, and, you know, um, and so that's the idea is basically to try and split this off and, and say, okay, like the V3 team, work in a vacuum, like build this thing, and then we are going to just deploy a new system um, because otherwise the distractions of maintaining the existing system are too hard. So that's one thing. Second thing is, um, you know, Optimism is launching soon. Um, we're lucky to be one of the, the uh, guinea pigs that have taken a lot of the pain um, of going through the, the process of kind of uh, onboarding there. Um, and so we're going to launch um, first, which means we will have, you know, we already have, you can stake, on optimism already um you know so you can stake for you know a couple bucks um at the moment it's free transactions will be you know probably a dollar or two um when they go live uh and you know versus l1 where you know it might be 50 100 or something like that so it's a meaningful difference in in terms of cost um but exchanges will go live which is a big thing so once exchanges go live then you know you'll be able to trade on synthetics for the first time we're going to remove our fee reclamation system which is basically like a speed bump that uh stops people from being able to front run um the the oracles um 
the benefit to that is that right now we don't have composability on exchanges. So Synthetix has some composability with other systems, but on exchanges, there's no composability. So the workarounds to get composability for Synthetix uh, exchanges in like Curve and One Inch are fucking atrociously bad. Like it's just really bad UX. Um, and so on L2, for the first time, we will have composability. You'll be able to connect an exchange directly in Synthetix with Uniswap, with Curve, with whoever is there, um, you know, into Aave, um, and we'll get composability back. So like, you know, one of the challenges with the non-composable systems, like DYDX is a good example of this, um, Synthetics is a good example of this, is like you're in, yeah, you're on L1, but you're, on, you're in your own little silo. And people can't just turn up and just plug you into different things. So on L2, we'll finally have that back. So that, to me, is probably the most exciting thing because composability, you just never know what's going to come out of it. Very exciting. Thank you for the alpha leak. And um, Ledger, if you don't have anything else, um, and Santiago, if you haven't got anything else either, I would love to ask the final question, but I want to check in with both of you first. Go for it. All right. So every episode, we ask the same thing. Santiago, you've already answered this once, so you're screwed. You're going to have to come up with something new. How much wisdom is in your how much wisdom's in your family line? But bullish, um, bullish on the wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) At the end of every episode, we ask the guests for some uh, teaching that, uh, like maybe some mantra, some teaching that they live by or they use and and self-reference, something that our viewers can use to make their lives more fulfilled maybe happier, maybe richer, maybe healthier, uh, maybe a little bit more free. Um, so yeah, just like some teaching, like doesn't have to be anything serious, just something that you maybe think about. Maybe you heard it in an Eminem song when you were like, I don't know, like 12 and were like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, could be anything, who cares? Um, Santiago, I'll give you a little bit extra time to think about it because you've already done this. I mean, once. I have, I, I'm happy to give Kane more time because I do have, I, I didn't say this, you asked me books and uh and then you also asked me Twitter followers, like who I would follow on Twitter, and I didn't have a good response. Oh, wait, have we not invented this question yet? No, I, maybe I'm an OG of, of only, man. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> you know, that, that's how you know if you haven't let's answered have this question. So I haven't. Let's I do have, have an answer. To it, so. Do it, do it. Yeah, let's, um, let's hear it. Yeah, look, I mean, I think like there, there's a lot of noise in this space. Um, I think it's important to just understand that like, the path to your success is going to be very singular and you just got to be comfortable with that. It, it's really difficult. When I first went to San Francisco and I was like in New York, I went to San Francisco, you know, you, you could really, really torture yourself when you are surrounded by people that have made billions of dollars, literally like around, like you walk by and like, Oh, there's Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, there's like the, the, the Google guys in the cafe. And it's like really, but then you snap out of it and you say, well, shit, I'm going to use that as inspiration for my own journey, which is going to be very different than any other journey out there. And I think at some point, if you don't snap out of that and just come to terms that like, you just need to find and be at peace that like, you're going to do whatever it is. Like, you know what I mean? Like the, the book that I recommended last time in, in, in when I was here, I was Siddhartha because it, te- it, it tells us the parallel story of Buddha. And I think he only, he comes to terms like, look, your path is going to be very unique. Um, the nice thing about this space is that it's, it, there's a lot of people that are willing to help you. Um, but don't try to recreate some other guy, you know, like it's, it's boring, you know? Uh, and so, um, I guess, you know, people might say, well, you know, you're saying that it's like, you know, it's, it's different for you than it is for me. You know, I, I generally think that like, no matter where you are in life, you can, uh, take advantage of this space 
because everything that we've talked about in this episode, I think the common denominator is there's, it's a very welcoming community and it's like infinite runway. And you just got to say, Hey, like balls to the wall. Like you're here, you're listening, go build something that fucking matters, be relevant. And I think everything else is a derivative of that. But if you're not like focused on that, you're going to get lost in the way you're going to do dumb stuff or you're going to be distracted. Um, and so that's my, my recommendation. Thank you, homie. Kane, what is the teaching that's been passed down in your family line and that you're going to pass on to our viewers now? <laughs> um, so, so something, uh, a habit that, uh, that I developed um, from fucking up a bunch of startups uh, over many years, um, uh, and there's a lot, there's like seven of them, um, uh, is I try every day in the morning to uh, spend a bit of time, five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever, sometimes it takes longer, uh, and question some assumption that I have built up, right? Like, you know, the other day when the market started shitting itself, right? Like, you know, I spent half an hour or so just sort of think like questioning the assumptions that I'd made about what is our, uh, you know, what's our plan here in terms of how do we uh, kind of mitigate this, right? If we, if we get into a bear market, right? Like you, you, human brains have a tendency to kind of build up all of this implicit uh you know these implicit beliefs right and it, they just accumulate without you even realizing them right and you know one day you turn around and you look at them and you're like why do i believe these things right and and crypto punishes that uh very very harshly right like even yesterday there's a bunch of people who've been sitting there going eip 1559 is a perfect you know, uh, construction that's like been sent down from on high by Vitalik and, and, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, and, um, I think a lot of people, uh, were surprised when, uh, Taylor jumped in and was like, wait a second, like, is this as perfect as we think? Right. And people don't like to have their assumptions questioned, right? Like it's much simpler and easier to just say EIP one five five nine is amazing. Never, don't say anything bad about it. It's going to solve all of our problems, right? Like, don't make me think, right? Like I've already built up, you know, I've heard all of the good stories. I've heard all of the excitement or whatever. I am happier doing that, right? But if you, if you allow yourself to fall into that complacency and you don't challenge your assumptions and you're not willing to like really rigorously like break down, like, why do I believe this thing? Like what, where did this belief come from? Uh, then you can get trapped in, in, you know, a path that is uh, really suboptimal. And so like, that's not, it's just a habit that I spend a little bit of time every day. Sometimes I don't think of something, but like, I just try and, you know, question like, is it a good idea? And like the, the most sacred things are the most important, right? Like, is it a good idea for synthetics to have this uh, attachment to infinite liquidity? Right. Like we've got this idea of like, there's no slippage on any trade in synthetics. Right. Like, is that dumb? Like we've been doing it for four years. Right. Like, but there's been days where I've just sat there and I've tried to deconstruct that and say, like, is this actually a good idea? Like, what are the trade offs that we you know rather than just accepting it as like, this is what we do. And we just have to deal with the bullshit that comes along with it. Like, no, stop, unwind that and like play out the scenario of like, what if we just got rid of that? And the best things that have come out of synthetics have been challenging these assumptions. You know, one of the assumptions was, should we have a fixed supply? Like I went around and talked to a bunch of people and they're like, what are you talking? Of course you have to have a fixed supply. Like how could you possibly change it? That's insane. Right. And then uh, we got to a point after like debating this for like months where it was like, no, we shouldn't have a fixed supply. Fixed supply tokens are dumb. 
it's a bad idea. Bitcoin is a fixed supply token, but all of the tokens are not out there. They're being emitted. Like there's a there's an amount that exists and then everyone is being paid to continue to get Bitcoin as they emerge into the world, right? And that's why people pay attention to it. That's why they do the work to understand it. And if you have a fixed supply token where you just dump them into the world and say it's scarce, you're an idiot, right? And so, you know, we basically said like, don't be idiots, right? Like don't just believe something because everyone else is doing it. Don't just believe it because you've been doing it, which is the hardest thing. Like genuinely challenge the assumption, deconstruct it, play out the scenarios and see what comes of it. And oftentimes the most valuable decisions come out of like trying to deconstruct these, these you know, sacred cows and, and really, you know, bedded down uh, decisions that happened a long time ago that you can't even remember why you did it. Thank you very much for the wisdom. I think I can extrapolate that into unsubscribe from BitBoy on YouTube. Uh, Ledger. <laughs> Ledger, any closing thoughts? Thank you so much. Y'all were excellent. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, despite Tom Brady being at Consensus, that's okay. Our guests are smarter and more handsome. Go to uponly.tv slash Blockfolio. Make your first trade on Blockfolio today. If you've never done it before, of course, you can track your portfolio like you've always loved. We appreciate y'all being here. We'll catch you next time. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. See ya. See ya.